0: Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This episode is with Eric Voscule. So for those of you who don't know Eric, he is the lead developer at Libitcoin. And he also writes a lot about uh, what he calls the principles of cryptodynamics. And he writes a lot about um, Austrian economics and a whole bunch of other things that are very, very interesting and relevant to understanding Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, the ecosystem better. And they can be found on the, the Bitcoin GitHub page. Um, this was a three and a half hour podcast conversation. And uh, it was one of, you know, Eric is, a, you know, obviously a very intelligent person, very unique thinker, very articulate, very, you know, there's not a lot of inefficiency in the way he speaks. So communicating with him um it's just, as a result of his uniqueness, communicating with him is uh, is a bit different than, than your average person, I guess you could say. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation, which is probably why we went on for three and a half hours. But it was one of those conversations where afterwards I thought to myself, like, ah, damn, why didn't I say this here? Why didn't I respond with this answer instead of the one I provided? Which is always the case to some degree when you're recording these these interviews. You know, in the moment, you... you In hindsight, it's always easier to determine, you know, a better answer, for example. Um, But this case was, in in this conversation, it was a little bit more than usual. Um, But just, I think, just because we covered so much ground and we, you know, I don't think we stopped for a pause at all, except for to to grab some water at about two and a half hours in. Um, Because we did cover so much, down in the details of this show, um, so in the podcast app, in the little descriptor in the summary um, i will put some time markers and 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 topic and subject markers just so if you don't want to commit to the full three and a half hours um i'll put you know you can refer to that and kind of skip ahead to where whatever subject matter uh, you're most interested in but we did discuss a ton of stuff obviously we discussed the bitcoin we discussed Bitcoin's security model the legacy Uh, monetary system and whether or not it actually is or is not in trouble as is often you know kind of talked about today Um, how debt in the current fiat money system works Um, Eric's time in the military Um, his kind of approach to life and happiness Um, social conventions the importance of trade and then we finish off with a conversation that ultimately led to a discussion about the Lightning Network now I have to admit up front that, you know, I'm I'm not as familiar with the Lightning Network as I want to be or should be at this point. And that probably was apparent in the conversation that we had. Um, you know, I just wasn't kind of getting what Eric was saying, and I'm not even insinuating that he was, he was absolutely correct. But I just, you know, I think uh, maybe I unnecessarily made uh, Eric... Uh, repeat himself a few times but i was i was just trying to get it clear in my head and i don't know if it was a a function of uh, just being three and a half hours in or you know uh, you know some kind of an inte- intellectual block or misunderstanding on my part that you know the uh you know that that conversation may have gone on for longer than uh, than it should have but i'll let you be the judge of that um Moral of the story is, uh, you know, for me, this was an awesome conversation, really enjoyed it, and after listening to it back, you know, had a lot of takeaways that have given me a lot of food for thought, and uh, which I'm sure I'll continue to mull over in the coming weeks and months, so uh, I guess I hope uh, it's as beneficial for you as well, and that's it. Enjoy.
1: Let's do it.
0: Yeah, well, Eric, thanks uh, thanks for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy, you've been doing the rounds on podcasts, and I'm sure you've got a a very busy life otherwise between hobbies and work and travel and that kind of stuff. So thank you for uh, for giving me the time.
1: Uh, no worries. Always, uh, always available to, to podcast. You know, if somebody asks, I do it. That's my rule.
0: Um, I think, I mean, you know, you talk about a lot of stuff. You've got your intellectual hands in a lot of different pies. So it's, uh, you know, I'm not sure where we're going to go today, and that's fine. We'll just take it wherever the conversation flows. But... Maybe we can just start with a little bit of your background, and I know a lot of people will have heard from you before. So maybe the the Cole's the notes version is is sufficient, and then uh, a little explainer on the work with Libitcoin, because I think maybe some people will be unfamiliar with the role of of that work. <clears throat> um, yeah.
1: So I'll start with the Libitcoin stuff, I guess. Uh, sure. The uh, Libitcoin is a, it's the longest running, you know, full node project after the Satoshi, sorry, if my dogs are coming through on your on your mic, that's going to happen. Um, you know, after the Satoshi prototype uh, started in 2011 by Amir Taki and Patrick Straitman. And uh, I started working on it about six years ago. Um, because I was working on my own hardware wallet project, which I eventually put on the shelf and just kept working on the Bitcoin. But uh, over time um, I end up working through all the libraries, doing a lot of refactoring and, and uh, new work and um, I kind of you know guide the project now. Um, the Bitcoin is not it's not any, in any way like a fork of any other code. It was started with one line of code committed by Patrick Straitman and grew from that. Um, and the objective has always been a little different than other stuff that's out there. It, it's C++, so it's the same language, uh, essentially, as, as um, Satoshi used. But uh, it was designed to be um, uh, a developer toolkit, so it's made for building other things. It's uh, factored into different libraries. It also takes a different approach, different makes different compromises than uh, other things uh, because it's designed to build things and because it doesn't have, um, you, you know, it, it moves more easily uh, because there's a, a smaller group of people that work on it. Um, and it made, you know, different engineering trade-offs. So um, it was one, the day I started working on Bitcoin and decided I was going to, I, uh, I found it and I, I found a mirror. And I went out and visited him within a few days, and I've been working on Bitcoin ever since. Um, so eventually, that led me into uh, other stuff. It took a few years um, before I fully understood the code, and then started thinking through some of the economic aspects, which is, um, you know, been a long-term interest of mine. Right. What was the What was the first part of your question? Well,
0: so just from that, what what is the the role in the ecosystem of the bitcoin right so if we have the you know satoshi's implementation then we have the bitcoin like what's the reason for its existence i guess is the question
1: well the satoshi client was a prototype right It, it was it was not it was it was a it was clearly satoshi was not a professional developer there's no question if you ask any 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 seasoned developer when they look at the code even today you know it would be fairly obvious so there were there were certain approaches that were um
0: why, sorry, why is it obvious just in the way that it's written uh,
1: I mean yeah just, just everything about it was screamed unprofessional but uh, why is, very,
0: it's, is it sloppy or it's there's bugs or what because I'm not I'm not I'm not technical there's That's bugs what in what I'm all asking.
1: software I mean it's not like question of bug free or not bug free it's just it's just um, the approach to writing the code I mean I, I guess you could draw an analogy, you know, if somebody was a professional writer and they they took an amateur writer and you know they wrote some important stuff but it was really really, you know, amateurish writing, you would be able to tell if you were a professional writer, right? Right. And you can you can tell as a professional coder that um that Satoshi was not a a uh, I mean he might have, you know, say he was an engineer who had some experience with code. That would actually track very well. Um or a scientist, right, who who wasn't a professional coder, so had this fairly deep understanding of what he wanted to do, and just got it done. Um, and um, although, you know, you do meet people that have been coding for a long time that, that have similar approaches to writing code, so it's possible that he was a developer, but it doesn't seem likely. Anyway, um, um, the, I mean, the code originally was largely written in one file. You know, it's a massive thing, and uh, um, I think written in Visual Studio, uh, you know, which is... Kind of not the professional professional developers, especially this environment, you know, environment of choice, um, and a lot of that stuff still carries over to this day. Um, but that's not the reason for the Bitcoin. It's just that um, if you were going to do it, uh, do what he did from scratch, you would do it differently. Um, the The objective was to build. Uh, so Amir had you know several objectives. One of which was to create a community of people who were independent of the the group that was developing you know, bitcoin d at the time um amir is the one that created bip one he created the BIP system to try to open up the de- the decision making process around changes to um, not just changes to the implementation but changes to consensus um, and uh he eventually got forced out of that group too controversial or something i don't know but um and somewhere in there, he was running—he was running the very first fully dedicated Bitcoin exchange. It was called Bitcoin. Um, picked up another name at some point, and uh, running it on through his own bank account. And he was uh, eventually that caused him some trouble. Um, but uh, he was looking for some code to do things he wanted to do. He started out as an online gambler and, and and kind of self-taught coder, and found Bitcoin to solve his money problem, and then and then worked on it from there. So um, he wanted. Um, tools to do the things he was doing you know in Bitcoin that just didn't exist in Bitcoin cores the, the the big distinction is it's an application right? it's a, it's an app right? when it comes right down to it, it's not a it's not a developer library so if you work in C++ a lot of a lot of developers will use various libraries uh, say for crypto traditionally people would use open SSL for utility code they would use boost which is a long-standing uh, set of uh, utilities for getting things done uh, that we're, we're hard to do or just tedious in C++, right? So Libbitcoin is designed. It's kind of run a boost model. It's 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 a set of tools for getting things done in you know in Bitcoin related code um, that you just can't pull out of an application, right? It's it's a totally different design philosophy, and then you assemble those tools into applications, and and Libbitcoin does do that. We have a a command line tool called Bitcoin Explorer or BX, and we have a node uh, called Bitcoin Node or BN. And then we have a server stack that sits on top of the node uh, called uh, Bitcoin Server, which is BS, unfortunate acronym. But um, um, those those are, you know, as, a, as somebody who's developed this kind of stuff before, it becomes really obvious that if you're developing a, a toolkit for somebody you you have to also be developing an application with the toolkit otherwise you develop things that people don't need or you don't develop the right architecture so it has to be put to use and so those are co those are co-produced the uh, the actual application um, and the library but the objective is really the library and so the applications you know they're they're command line they're very simple um in terms of you know user interface um, but they exercise all the capabilities um, you know, in the library that are relevant in that context. So uh, it's something to build on. It's something to build a future on where people can can put together the things they want to do. So one of the reasons people use web APIs to build Bitcoin applications is because it's easier. You use, I don't know, a Coinbase API or something like that to do what you really should be doing with a node. Why don't you just do it with a node? Well, it's easier. Why is it easier? Because the interface to Bitcoin core now is not designed for that kind of stuff. Right. so um, the one of the objectives was to create a, a different community that um, didn't have to kind of toe the line with whoever had a commit authority right it's a different community they can do what they want so they can be um, they can be they, they can voice objections without worrying about like losing commit authority or falling out of favor with this club and and at the time we you know we had the Bitcoin foundation later kind of came along and that became a real concern of, of Amirs right this um, kind of Corporate money driving salaries um, and um, having having a bit more say in the uh, the development of of what was essentially the protocol at the time than, than uh, he liked. So it creates a different. It creates an independent community. Um, it creates a different uh, different approach, um, a different use case in terms of having a developer toolkit, and makes it possible for people to build things that are that are actual true Bitcoin things, not just build up on some centralized service. Um, so, it, it's it's um, it's not its objective is not really to lead you know protocol changes or new 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 discoveries. It's to provide an efficient set of tools, libraries that is, is comprehensive in the in the, in the context of Bitcoin for people to build stuff. Right. Um, so if you know if there's not that, then there's this one application and everything just kind of has to bolt onto it somehow. So that's not really what happens. People build their own ad hoc libraries and, and tools. They, they suck data out of, you know, Bitcoin D and they, and they put it into a database so they can query it efficiently and things like that. Um, and that's, um, that's just a lot of unnecessary work. Uh, so our objective is really to make it easier for people to build stuff that's, that's actual Bitcoin stuff and not gravitate towards centralized services.
0: Right. So, but the Bitcoin still adheres or, you know, with the, the BIP system. Right. So the change, the, the improvement protocols that are, let's say, integrated or implemented, the Bitcoin is is equally affected.
1: Well, these, this BIP system is just a public repository of suggestions, of right. suggestions, right? They're proposals. Uh, right. There's no there's no there's no deciding authority on what gets implemented and what doesn't get implemented. The Bitcoin chooses to implement whatever um, you know, proposals it wants, and so do, so do other implementations so adheres to i mean there's a there's a crap load of bips that i just completely ignore me personally and other people if somebody wants to implement them and they're not totally totally insane you know we'll help them do that Uh we've had companies come along and say hey we want to use the bitcoin but it doesn't implement BIP whatever and we say yeah well you know that one seems fine we'll get to that at some point they throw some money at you know one of our devs and, and and you know we prioritize it so um, or just a, this is the, all these things have happened. The dev comes along and says, "I'm really interested in you know these things, and I want to implement it." And so we help them, you know, through the process of of writing consistent you know code that's consistent with the library and its standards, and 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 uh, we get it done. That's how Bip 38, Bip 39 got done. I think Bip 150, 158 uh, is getting done right now with corporate sponsorship. Um, so if they affect consensus, then it's a decision we have to make on uh, when to implement. Um, because we do the, the the consensus library does maintain consistency with BTC. It also has a it's configurable into uh, testnet, testnet3 uh, regtest, and also Litecoin Litecoin testnet and regtest, um, and possibly other coins that are consistent that that I would consider bitcoins right that that follow the security principles um, laid out in the white paper right. So, um, one of the objectives there was to make it configurable into these into these uh, different um, sets of consensus rules. Instead of having to fork uh, into them, factor the code, and take a you know what amounts to a half million lines of code and try to keep that current with some other implementation that's moving along rapidly, which is you know nigh impossible. So, um, the ability to do that in a single compiled binary, you know, just through a configuration file, run testnet, reg test, Litecoin, um, is valuable for companies, organizations, people that want to support multiple of these coins and um, don't want to, you know, actually can do it with one binary on their system and to simplify test, it's, you know, it greatly improves reliability, reduces deployment costs, um, and reduces our costs. So yeah. we've, we've done some of that. Uh, but if you mean like tracking with BIPs, you know we're we're consistent with consensus and uh, um, in these in at least BTC Regtest Testnet and uh, Litecoin etc.
0: Is is there any noticeable or functional difference from the users' perspective? Uh, you know would they know that they're, you know what they're using is running one or the other? Well, using is kind of arbitrary. I, I tend to avoid
1: that term because you know what's using mean? It could be just holding on to your keys, right? Right. But if you're if you're mining, um, if you're um, a merchant, you're accepting Bitcoin. Um, you know these different use cases um, would you you'd be very different because the Bitcoin does not have a graphical user user interface. It's not a wallet, right? It's it. Uh, we don't even have a uh, we have a wallet library for implementing everything you would want to do in a wallet. You know various bits like HD keys and and uh, even stuff that's not implemented in BTC, but uh, crypto primitives that are useful and in, in various contexts outside of the coin and so you, you have a command line tool that can do anything that a wallet could do But you'd have to be pretty you know pretty experienced um, In Bitcoin to actually use the command line tool to do what people do with their wallets So it's not intended to be that it could be at some point um, You know we have plans to eventually evolve a graphical interface on top of these things, but that's not the priority um and so if you're if you're a minor etc these are all very different when working with Libitcoin. you but on the other hand if you were using it as a node and you put some other thing in front of it you wouldn't notice the difference say say you you connected up electrum to the bitcoin you would have no idea um we're not quite there yet but that that'll that'll be there um
0: fairly soon i think right. and so is the is the motivation behind or one of the motivations behind it just to you know make the ecosystem more secure by offering more options that are influenced by different parties and groups and peoples or like is, um, that, is, that, well, is that the motivation to the have diverse to, options?
1: Well, One of the objectives is just to in, incur, it, to make it easier for people to build things that matter to the security model in Bitcoin right if you have if you have you know a million so you know so-called users that are that are using something that you know, does their payments through BTC pay or something like that, they, they're just one user from, you know, user again, being ambiguous, but they're just one node in the graph, the security model of Bitcoin, the, the person who controls the consensus rules at that central point is the person that matters. They just happen to have everybody else's money to to, to use its influence in that context. So. Um, taking those million individuals and, and, and making it easier for them to be their own node on the network is one of the objectives. Um, you know, Bitcoin Core is an application. You can run that application and you can, of course, do that. That's great. But there's reasons that people build these systems on centralized services, right? Why'd everybody, why does everybody use this payment service uh, or these various payment services instead of just running a version of Core? It's not, not designed for that, right? It's not designed to run some company's uh, payment processing, so they have to build up an awful lot. They hired some consultants, you know, build up some infrastructure, and this is big corporate stuff. It's not, it's not, um, not designed for that. So, so creating a developer ecosystem is is kind of in you know in software development, in software engineering, is inevitable. Right? Eventually, somebody comes along and and does what we've done or what we started, which is to. You know, like this happened in the browser wars, the original browsers, just applications. And then it kind of started slowly getting opened up so you could actually write code around them. And eventually, for a time, you know, Internet Explorer was like 98% of the market. Why? Because, you know, most, most people run PCs, they run Windows, and they uh, this API was now embedded throughout the operating system. So you could make calls, do things that you wanted to do without having to fire up the browser and run some hack into it, right? And that's kind of inevitable when you have the technology that people want to build on so we're just in, in one way we're just providing that inevitable um, development toolkit for these things um, another aspect of it as I mentioned before is just creating a, a different set of people who are independent and can, can think independently or, or at least act independently um, don't have to come, and agree, come to agreement Um, With with everybody else and I think that's important to have other voices and um, And have other perspectives. There's been a a few small number of things that I've personally um, been very kind of vocal about in terms of you know proposals that 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 are kind of taken as uh, uncontroversial in the development of Bitcoin Core uh, and put forth as, you know, kind of universal good. And, and I've objected um, because I have a different perspective on things. Uh, different, you
0: know, there's certain
1: assumptions made about implementation that don't hold true in our implementation, right? In other so words, we don't an, have, for can example... you give an example? Yeah. We don't have a memory pool. We don't have a UTXO database, right? Those are two big big examples. People think of those as, as part of Bitcoin. Right. They're not. They're part of an implementation that Satoshi created. Um, they're... Optimizations that, in one sense, can be very detrimental. Um, they're just trade-offs, right? And so, when you make changes to behavior to to protocol in order to make those easier, and it makes it harder for us, right? It's not a it's not a protocol benefit. It's an implementation benefit, and the ben, you know sometimes this this benefit to the implementation is because the implementation has its own issues, right? So it's been those type of things which are more just you know, technical, not really um, behavioral. But then there's some things that are protocol changes that you know I, I uh, I've had exceptions with and other people as well that aren't really about making the development easier. They're about achieving some privacy objective um, that I don't agree with. I think is at odds with the 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 the, the more important objectives of Bitcoin. So, um, and I get, I get comments privately from people who agree with me, but don't want to, you know, don't want to come out and say it because, you know, that they, there'll be an outcast in this community, but I, I you know, we don't care. <laughs> so we can, we say what we want, right. right? And that, that independent voice, even if it's not, even if it's not, you know, embraced eventually by the community is important to have. Sure. Uh, and that was, that, and that was a big part of what Amir was trying to achieve. And I, I think from an engineering standpoint, the Bitcoin has done some things that are, that are fascinating and, and, uh, um, um, just you know in some ways uh, they're, they're trade-offs but in some ways um, um, are much better I'm, I'm trying to avoid using this word it's not a better or worse right? these are just engineering trade-offs that it can achieve things in a different way that are very interesting yeah. um, for example not having a memory pool what problem is you have a memory pool you run out of memory right? and memory is the most expo- expensive resource you have on the computer so why are you optimizing you know, um, to fill up your memory. Uh, and then you run into things like spam, you know, people have issues with spam transactions and, uh, you you restart your node and you lose the history. And there's, there's all these, there's these issues with it,
0: but there's different ways to solve those problems. And And, yeah, go ahead. How much, so how much, you know, use, uh, you know, how many people are, are basically using this implementation?
1: I have no idea. I don't track it. Right. I don't ask for anybody to provide information. I found entire companies that have built for years on the Bitcoin and then come to me and had a problem. And, and, you know, I did some consulting with them and had no idea. But they built a coin, a company, you know, a, a market, everything. And um, and so, they're, you know, it's it's definitely smaller than than um, the Satoshi client. Um, but the, the objective is not to, you know, not to be have the most nodes or be the most wallets, right? We're just trying to provide this developer platform and people come and use it. And, um, uh, I mean, there's, uh, companies I know of, they're listed on one of our sites, you know, maybe a dozen or so that are well known, like, and, and some that have used it and, and then moved on to other things because we haven't had, um, for example if you want to if you to like uh, for example edge wallet which was originally airbits right they were built entirely on the bitcoin or at least mostly on the bitcoin initially and eventually they branched out and wanted to do other coins um and that and then they they went to um you know the mobile app um they wanted to work in javascript or something that was cross platform so th- they i don't even know if they use it anymore uh, open bazaar was another example open bazaar was started by Amir it was it was originally a dark market uh, hackathon project at, at uh, about five years ago in Toronto, and uh, he did it with two Airbits guys. Actually, it was all done in LaBitcoin and then eventually OpenZar came along, picked it up, and developed it. You know, obi one came along and developed it in OpenZar, and uh, I remember supporting them for quite a while um, until eventually, for the same you know, reason or similar reasons, they moved on to using uh, a different tool toolkit because of the of the uh, cross coin support and other issues. and the Bitcoin has not always been mature enough to do things people want to do, so they so they move on. But um, so it tends to be very good at some things. Uh, it's not a mining platform. I don't encourage people to use it for that. Um, it will be at some point, but it's just it doesn't have the feature completeness that we we would need to be able to support uh, mining. Right. Um, and uh, I don't. So this we tend to see a lot of people that are doing um, wallet stuff. Doing we've had research people come in. They want to. want to you know build something Um, but as far as numbers I don't know I I really just don't care I don't
0: keep track I just try to support everybody that comes along and so does the rest of the team Um, switching it up a little bit what you know you've been in the space for I think as you mentioned five six years Um, about six years yeah what right now is the most interesting or concerning or area of focus aside from the bitcoin that that you're most kind of engaged in
1: um i I work i spend most of my time for the past year um in crypto economics
0: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: not even in code um so i don't know if that's that's what you're actually asking but i uh so i have a i have a you know long diverse background in different things and um uh, very much a long-term student of economic theory and political theory. Um, eventually, my understanding of how Bitcoin actually worked um, um, evolved to the point where I could, I could connect those things, right? Start right. making uh, inferences about um, behavior. And Bitcoin has some unique aspects, some of which tend to get ignored, and others which get a lot of focus. You know? right. Supply cap gets a lot of focus. You know, fixed transaction rate doesn't get nearly the focus from like Maximalist, for example, right? right? Uh, we can ignore that, and, but but those have those have interesting economic consequences that people um, ignore or don't think through. And um, I find those things very interesting, so I spend a lot of time, you know, developing and writing proofs on on, on what the behavior actually is. So, yeah, that, that led me to, I have about 95 topics in, in crypto economics now that are just buried in the Bitcoin wiki because I had to put them somewhere and that was easy. And that uh, was, you know, it was basically a way to not have to keep retweeting these things time and time again and scratch. So
0: Yeah, I've read a bunch of them and I, I'm going to, you know, break into a couple of them specifically a little bit later on. But, you know, in, in listening to you in, uh, in certain presentations and other podcasts and stuff, And I want to be careful how I word this because I want to word it (laughs) as accurately as possible because, you know, you're obviously a big supporter of this project and this, you know, movement, if you want to call it that. But it's very clear that you want to, you you know, as far as you're concerned, attempt to engage it in the most rational and reality-based way possible, you know, obviously. Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't you? Uh, But I think, you know, a lot of people in this space and I'm not I'm not actually suggesting they're wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, you know, I'm not making that judgment right here. I'm just saying that a lot of people are so excited about the potential of what Bitcoin represents um, that, you know, they become very enthusiastic about a number of its different qualities and how, you know, how those qualities
1: you might say perceived. You might say perceived qualities.
0: Perceived qualities, yes. And then in conversation with you, those those perceptions be, get challenged, and you yeah. you kind of come off as this person who, you know, reigns on the parade a little bit. I know that's not how you see it because you know you. No, you're,
1: I I understand that. I, I completely get that perspective. I do I do see it that way. It's not my intent. Right.
0: Right. I, right. Sorry. I
1: wouldn't work in this stuff if I wasn't um, motivated. That's what I meant. Yeah. Its potential, but I. You know, I, I have a background in, in multiple backgrounds in you know real things that, that real security. Um, I, I mean, I sold. A, there's a company out there called Beyond Trust. It keeps growing and whatever. I, I I co-founded that company. It was an IT security company, right? And we, we had to deal with you know, real security issues. We couldn't just kind of wave our hands at them and say, Well, this is not a problem and then all of a sudden a whole corporate network gets wiped out, right? Right. So I have a I have ten year background as a military fighter pilot, combat experienced and top gun trained tactics instructor. I evaluated people's tactics and I said I'd sit in a brief and watch them scoff go off to to mock war and I would be I would be either fighting with one of them or in the bad guys fighting against them and I would tell them you're all going to die and they would be completely confident that they were fine and they would all die because these things are, you know, you can infer things from, from your people's security model. They're planning their, their unrealistic uh, expectations. Um, you know, 25, 30 years in martial arts, same thing, right? You make assumptions about the other person and you find out, well, they don't really hold up. Um, so I became very much, um, uh, you know, with Bitcoin, I became very interested in the things that people would say that there was no basis for, right? Like, no, that's not really
0: provable. Um, nor is there any reason to believe that's. The case. So, what's one of the what's one of the big ones? You know, that you often come up against that you have to, you know, in your from your perspective, put some reality. Well, the most
1: on. common one is that Bitcoin is a white market money,
0: right? It, it's it's this thing
1: that's just going to like exist with permission, um, even though we call it permissionless. And because it does, because presumably it's not important enough for anybody to care, we assume that that's part of the security model, right? There's nothing, and believe me, I've written enough lines of Bitcoin code to know that there's nothing in there that prevents a law from being passed, right? And there's this assumption that, well, there's something about it, something magical that that will prevent that from happening. And I think that's just absolute nonsense. And I, that's not to, to say that it will happen. That's to say there's nothing stopping it from happening that is any greater than what stops it from happening in dollars, euros, or any other state money, right? Um, gold, for example. So, so there's this belief that it's somehow different in that respect, which is, is just not the case. Bitcoin's security architecture is completely designed around being able to hide when it's not allowed. That's the security model. Right. That's why we say decentralization. That's why we say anonymity. That's you know, that's that's why things being small, you know, being able to keep blocks small, nodes small, be able to operate at small scale. That's so you can hide, right? right? And, and, and if it's if that's not important, then Bitcoin's not important, right? You can just do it out in the open, and it's so popular, you know, nobody can, nobody would dare pass a law to to to, to prohibit it. Then we wouldn't need it, right? So I think that's by far the most common fallacy so
0: sorry what 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 is the fallacy stated more simply what is
1: the fallacy Do you know the, um, the
0: fallacy that you were just re- re- addressing
1: i don't have a actually i don't think i have a named fallacy for this i just call it black market money um you know this this comes down to one of the three the th- this three security principles that i refer to as crypto dynamics that define what bitcoin is right but um, you're, su-
0: you're suggesting that people just assume that because of you know whatever qualities bitcoin represents that it will ultimately you know uh force itself upon the white market and will will have to be adopted by the people that control the white black line let's say via regulation is that what you're is well that what you're it's
1: already there right bitcoin is widely used in white market stuff yep. coinbase whatever right sure and you know these are relative terms mean, it's not they're not judgmental terms right black market is the free market it's the it's the market that operates without permission right. um it doesn't ask permission doesn't need permission it just does what it wants white market is the is the market that complies and um even in the white market right now you see um you know fairly modest controls being applied uh, i got kicked off a of coinbase why i don't know but clearly they, they had no interest in kicking me off there was some regulatory concern they had mm-hmm. And uh, I tripped some you know AI program that said this guy's a risk and so they they kicked me off. I had been on there for like six years and you know maybe I spoke too much. I you know, I hadn't changed my behavior um, <laughs> on their system. But yeah, okay, so there's a control being applied, very easily applied. KYC, AML, these are already being applied. Yeah. Um, so okay, that's white market accepting the need to have permission to operate. And, and um and, and Bitcoin has no protection against that. It offered me no protection, right? against that against that scenario. Now, of course, if I'm running my own node and trading with other people who are running their own nodes, it's the same situation. They can just come up, you know, say, well, you know, if you do that, you're a money launder unless you get identity and, you know, file it on your tax tax return. And like for example, if you have a if the dollar drops and you have a capital gain in Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin purchasing power remains the same but the dollar gets cut in half, you have a you have a capital gain. Right. Right? You have to pay taxes in the U.S. So if you don't pay those taxes,
0: you're criminal, right? You're a, you're, you're a criminal actor. But doesn't it give you the option to resist that because you can acquire and store it absent you know, the awareness of the regulating authorities?
1: Yeah, Bitcoin gives you the option to break the law. Right. <laughs> right? It Excellent. makes it easier for you to do it. it. It doesn't make the law harder to pass or impossible to pass. It just makes it easier for you to, 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 to ignore it. So by doing so, you're a black market.
0: Yeah. Right? And so in the case that you were saying, like, if Coinbase, Coinbase cuts you off, Bitcoin doesn't help you. But it's still, you know, it's, it's still this. Uh... No,
1: no, it's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Bitcoin could do nothing to stop that.
0: Sure. Right? It can sure. help
1: me if I'm willing to break the law. Right. Coinbase is not willing to break the law, even though they're exchanging Bitcoin. Right. Bitcoin doesn't help them in any way. Now, if the law was passed that affected me, I would have the same decision to make, right? The law has been passed it affects me. I gotta decide whether I'm gonna pay that capital gains tax on the, the loss of purchasing power of fiat, right? And Bitcoin's not saving me from paying uh, paying signage in fiat because I'm using Bitcoin if I obey the law. I'm still paying signage because I get a capital gains tax when fiat goes down or when state fiat goes down, right? So it doesn't protect me against that. It just help, makes it easier for me to decide that I'm going to protect myself from doing that right I'm going to I'm going to do something so people still have to make that decision and do that and that's and that's what I'm saying if people make that decision to be black market Bitcoin makes it easier but Bitcoin does not make it easier to be white market right, right. it's
0: <laughs> and so it, I, I understand that and that so the one point is that Bitcoin provides that option to be black market more so than than options in the past right the other thing is is you know if if we the difference between the black market and the the white market is regulation right as you said the black market is the free market it's a market that operates absent regulation and the the market forces and dynamics dictate how how the market works whatever mm-hmm. they may be um the you know i think one of the arguments that's often made with bitcoin is that because this option is is now available the more you know onerous the regulations become let's say the you know the 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 state is uh content you know ends up being more and more uh oppressive on bitcoin wants to stomp it out from from more areas wants to control it more etc then you're expanding the surface area of the black market and will there be a, a time when if if more and more activity gets pushed to the black market that you're just e- expanding the mass of the thing that's ultimately competing with the white market and will that lead yeah, to a sure
1: if, if- under those assumptions, yeah, you're expanding the black market. Uh, black market is massive. I mean, it's, by some estimates, 20 to 30% of the world's economy, you know, varying quite a bit from region to region based on political controls, but it's pretty big. And, um, you know, more prohibition pushes more things into the black market, right? Um, so that doesn't contradict anything I've said. I've said that Bitcoin is a black market money. Its, des- its design is to facilitate... Money, you know, electronic money specifically, right? We have gold; you can use that privately in the black market. Um, but um, and you can use paper money, right? You use state money privately in the black market, right? But electronic money is is something that doesn't exist outside of Bitcoin um, in the black market, and so it provides this benefit to people who are willing to use it. Um, it provides some, you know, security model in that context. But if people expect to be able to use it in white market transactions and just expect that it will always be permitted, they're just making the assumption that a law won't be passed. And maybe that'll happen. Maybe that'll right. just be the case. But it's already not the case. Right. right? Um,
0: but so. I think this is, you know, one of the fundamental um, reasons why people are interested in Bitcoin because they feel that they at least, it's, it's not the end-all be-all, of course. You know, its it's one of many tools. But I think the hope is that this tool will will you know if we say the the free market instead of the black market, I think people desire freedom, freedom to transact freedom to you know freedom in 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 many capacities and I think what a lot of people hope is that this tool will enable a transition from the black market being an underground you know side market to the white market to a more you know the the dominant market rather than a
1: well you know. if if people truly so people desire freedom for themselves not for others and if people is that truly true desire in all cases it, it's a generalization just just take it as a postulate you know for now right okay. like if this, if we can assume that people want to do whatever they want to do which is probably a safe assumption and then if we, we can also assume that people don't like other people doing you know being able to do whatever they want to do which we can observe in politics right if if people really wanted Uh, money where people could do whatever they wanted with it, then we would already have it, right? They would just obtain it through the political process, but they don't. They have that option, at least in most countries in the world, they have that option to vote the bums out, get get their good dollars and achieve what they want. But So if it's put to a political process, that's not what you get. That's observable. So Bitcoin is more but that's an more of a f-
0: reflection of the political process, you know, not representing maybe the will of the majority, is it not? I think the political process in many places does represent the will of the majority. If
1: you talk to people on the street and you tell them you're an anarchist and you don't want the political process to do these things, they will reject you. Nine out of 99 times out of 100. So... People are very keen on their own liberty, but they're very afraid of everybody else's. And the political process is nothing but some subset of that population fighting to obtain control over other people. And um, I don't find it a very popular idea that everybody should be able to do what they want as long as they're not aggressing other people. Um, so Bitcoin gives the people that want to do what they want the option to opt
0: out of that system. And you know, we tend to be a minority. Um, how much do you think education is is involved in that? You know, because I, I agree. Like you know, you you ask the average person on the street, you know, uh, you know, should sh- just let's use the Bitcoin example, right? Like you know, wouldn't Bitcoin be uh, a freer money, not as uh, manipulatable, influence, uh, able to be influenced by the powers that be, the state, the fi- the yeah. international bankers, etc.? And you find that they would say, no, no, I want to, you know, the dollar is fine,
1: or or just tell them you want to go you want to be free to buy your you want to be free to buy your drugs online or your you know right, whatever right. and then people start freaking out right money laundering and this is this is you know if we don't all pay our taxes how are we going to get all these things we like so people you know again this is not something that's provable this is just something that's observable is that if if you wanted a political if you wanted a money that was secured politically which is what people are actually saying when they say they can't pass a law right it's secured politically we already have that the status quo is very evident there is no country on earth where you know that i that i'm aware of that actually has obtained that politically so to believe that that because of some technology we're now going to just magically obtain that politically uh, is a bit naive but it could happen I, again i don't rule it out but the security architecture of bitcoin has nothing to do with that it provides the ability for people to operate at relatively small scale hide and do things relatively anonymously um and that's why we talk about decentralization and anonymity and privacy
0: right um from a system security standpoint to extend that for for one second and then we can break more into what you're just referencing um a lot yeah, i know this isn't provable but let you know just for the sake of this discussion discussion my experience has been in speaking with people a lot of people that come into the bitcoin space either come in as a result of kind of understanding better how the system works or how money works or the financial system, political system, or as a result of engaging in Bitcoin they kind of begin to go down the educational rabbit hole. They start reading about economics and and money and things like that and they, they start to change their views. So that's kind of a, a representation of how kind of their their, their, w- their will is changing as a result of being more informed, being more educated, thoughtful about this subject. So that's a certain percentage of the population, but there's also
1: just pure speculation
0: right of course you know, of course
1: it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a it's a casino right and absolutely we're gonna, we're always we always win
0: <laughs> yeah i I agree, but what i'm what I'm saying is so like if if we want a a, a freer system, if we want a money that rep that has the qualities that uh, I think we feel that bitcoin represents is not one of the major uh i guess objectives and i as a community or as an individual to educate people so that they're informed so that they they can see why it might uh, be an avenue toward greater freedom or liberty or freer markets or things like that like is that you know bitcoin is again just a tool it doesn't represent the solution in itself but if if what we're is education the big part of this so that people actually the the will of the people if we're saying that the will of the people is represented in the political structure and the system that we have is it is our job then to change the will of the people by having them be more informed and educated about the reality of this thing first of all
1: there's no entity the people right there's just individual persons and this is an abstraction that states like because they like to express the idea that they're expressing the will of this one entity called the people. So individuals have their own personal objectives and desires, and and Bitcoin allows them to to do this or not do this. Um, But education about the tax effects of money, which is really what we're talking about, money is a great tax vehicle, state state money. Um, And in some parts of the world, they're keenly aware of this. In the West, they tend not to be, because the tax is not nearly as high uh, or as visible. So you don't have to educate people you know in Zimbabwe or Venezuela anymore about the tax effects of money um, It's the West that has that, that suffers under that
0: delusion um, but perhaps educating them about the implications of that would you know would maybe enhance the gravity of that realization for example people sure. and then yeah, just because hey, people understand, you know, the, the the tax effect, but they might not realize the, the degree to which that influences, you know, military operations or the imperialism or that kind of bills, stuff. pay the bills, right? Right. So that's, that's. But it's not always short... it's not always evident, right? People sometimes need to yeah, be well, told. Yeah, well,
1: some people that. like the. But see, people like those aspects; otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it, right? Those things generate votes, and so they're done. Um, you know, military actions or social benefits, whatever; those are all done for votes, um, at least in the West, and they're done to keep 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 the king's head on his shoulders. In other parts of the world, but um, which is essentially votes, right? You so, think military action so the, is
0: done for votes?
1: Sure. If if people were all against it, it would be unlikely to happen, right? Um, you know. You take a dictatorship, and the things that they do, which are pretty common, you know, hand out, hand out social benefits to try to keep people happy. Try to find them some jobs. These are very common in in you know third world countries, different parts of the world, because that's what keeps the king in power, right, um, or the dictator. And um, that's essentially a you know, pitchforks are a form of voting. So right. so people you know keep people content, and they'll be less likely to overthrow you or vote you out for a So these things are done. For political popularity
0: yeah you saying i mean I'm, I'm i'm not sure if i can agree with that i do understand what you're saying but i i feel like when you said that it made me think like i don't think that many people are are for you know non-defensive war but i, I feel like it's become so I, I think there's an apathy where people just feel like well this is going to happen regardless of if i vote in a democrat or republican this guy or that guy and you know i feel like maybe there's a narrative here about people's kind of sense of powerlessness
1: the reason there's a reason they think it's going to happen is because it's going to happen because it's popular enough to happen if if you don't if you if you're not around people that are like pro military action it's just you're living in some kind of bubble there's a lot of those people right and a lot of them in the US and around the world and you know one of the one of the reasons why you see states will promote a conflict for months if not years ahead of time right is to get the people behind it Um, and, you know, there are many conflicts that are not engaged in because they're just not popular. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, we have this concept of an unpopular war. I mean, when Vietnam became unpopular enough, it ended, right? That, that's what did it. And it was, it was very popular before the actions that were being taken were, you know, anti-communist. They were, they were, you know, containment, right? These were, yeah, there were plenty of lies, but. In the end, there was a lot of support. I mean, you know and then and then things changed, and it ended. so if you can't I mean that was that was the in Vietnam, that was the opposing strategy, right was to, was to take away the popularity of the war in the u s, which was in some ways very effective. so to think that these these conflicts go on because they're just you know somebody you know who has power, who's been put in office, who just wants to do it, and nobody else wants it is is you know is, is not realistic. People actually do. Promote these things, um, and when they become popular enough, that's when they happen.
0: I think that popularity is probably expressed in inaction, action, you know. So, and I I agree. Like if well, consent, if, right, right, exactly. And so if we, you know, uh, you know, I, in that capacity, I agree that you know people just. You can sit. This is, a, the, the, you know, going back to what you say versus what you do. Right? People will say they have a preference for a lot of different things or they support a lot of different things. What does the behavior dictate you're willing to tolerate or you're not willing to tolerate? And this can come from a managerial perspective in a business or from a political perspective or you know, many different perspectives. And that, you know, and I th- that's a I think that's a pretty maybe complex issue, because I think a lot of people would say that, you know, they don't feel they have an avenue to express their their uh, support or lack thereof for something or one that has any impact I think a lot of people would say that it's
1: because today. they don't because they're not a member of the people right everybody has their own perspectives and opinions and and they're not representable right it boils down to one decision in the end and that can't not possibly represent everybody's perspective um, so people have accepted this idea that if the majority or whoever can get enough power together does something then it's the good, right? And that is not the pers- you know that's not the Bitcoin perspective. The Bitcoin perspective is I I'm opting out of this, right? I'm not consenting. I'm not voting for it. I'm just leaving. Right. Um, and that's you know that's my personal philosophy on anarchism, right? It's it's really not about forcing everybody else to go along with what I want or you know tearing down institutions. It's just about not participating in things I don't want to support. Um, I mean, I wouldn't go to my neighbor's house, put a gun in their face and say, give me your stuff, because I want to make a school. But people vote for that in my town, right, regularly. So uh, I don't vote, and and therefore I'm not participating. You know, I pay my taxes because otherwise, you know, I'll be the one with the gun in my face. So um, there's compliance, and then there's active compliance. And when you're voting, you're actively complying. You're You're lending your support, your voice to whatever conclusion the system comes to. And then you say you don't have a voice. Well, you just gave your voice to the system. You supported it. You supported the idea that whatever people decide is what will happen. Right. Um, So, you know, this this idea that somehow everybody's idea could be represented in a representative democracy is, is, you know, patently
0: false. Sure. But that's that's uh, so that's why the the enthusiasm and interest in Bitcoin. Right. Because it, it actually seemingly, I think, for a lot of people, who may have felt helpless, may have felt that, you know, nothing represented their voice or their preferences. It provides, as you just mentioned, an opt-out, you know, like an, an, yeah. a, an active yeah. opt-out where before it was, you know, you, you were complying in some capacity. This provides you a way to, you know, maybe comply less and start contributing mm-hmm. to another system that you would maybe prefer to, you know, to yeah. engage in.
1: Yeah, that's that's very consistent with what I believe. I mean, Bitcoin is a you know it's just an option to leave and do what you want, whether you whether you like programming money, which is not allowed. You know, you think it's kind of technical, right? But I want to do this, and you can't do it. Why can't you do it with PayPal APIs or you know because it's not allowed? Um, you know, so people who want to do what they want to do, and it's not allowed, they 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 opt out. They become part of the black market. They don't comply. Um, so that's not you know, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I've told people, what I, what I see in the security model is that Bitcoin is not something that is going to sit around, if it becomes important enough, the state will care and it will say no. And now we will, you know, but it's permissionless. It doesn't need permission. Well, it turns out that, you know, if you want to accept it at McDonald's or, you know, your bookstore or uh, your online service, you're either going to, you know, take the risk of walking out in handcuffs or you're going to be, um, or you're going to comply. You're going to take, you know, you're going to switch a couple of your rules, make it into FedCoin, and then you'll be, you'll be compliant. Um, but Bitcoin doesn't offer any security against that. People have to individually resist, and the best way to, you know, the most effective way to resist the state is to hide. And so that's that's the Bitcoin security model is is you can do this at small scale, and you can do, you know, therefore no centralized services. That's why decentralization, right? It's small scale operation.
0: Yeah. So Bitcoin's integration into the quote unquote white market is entirely dependent on the good graces of the state. Right. I I understand. That seems self-evident. Right. 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 Of course. Um, So
1: as long as we're in those good graces, it's all good.
0: (laughs) But is it possible that. And this literally just came to my mind, but we were talking about kind of the impact of being informed and being educated on the will of the people and the will of the people impacting the you know, political state that we that we get, you know, if it becomes so um, integrated and it, 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 it actually represents a force for people, and I kind of hate this term because it could be misconstrued in many ways, but quote-unquote waking up to the state of affairs, do you think... So you ask
1: me what could happen, right? Yeah, sure. And, and, I, and, and you I don't, don't like speculating. Things. No, I, I just don't, right? Because I, you don't know what's going to happen and I don't know what's going to happen. Could, right, it's sometimes could, fun could to this, talk about it. Yeah, it is. It is, but I but I, I take exception with people that make, um, you know, predictions as if these are facts, right? So we could say that people becoming more educated about money would we have this result. Yes, it could be could be true. Um, it could have no impact whatsoever, except to you know cre- create more of a burdensome you know regulatory environment because the state's afraid of it. Who knows, right? right? All I all I can all I can say is that it's possible, not provable, that Bitcoin can operate without permission, if people are willing um, to both uh, take the risk of doing it, and if they're willing to pay for it, because it will become expensive to operate if the state is trying to suppress it. Right. Um, more expensive than you know it might might be independently.
0: So. So do you, do you have a hope or vision for for Bitcoin?
1: Yeah, um, Bitcoin works right now. And (laughs) I wanted to, you know, I wanted to do more of what it does, um, allowing people to do things if they want to without, you know, having to ask permission. Um, Moving money across borders, you know, um, is is a nice benefit of Bitcoin. And it's um, very easily doable right now. Um, You know, electronic movement of money uh, is, you know, is the feature the value proposition is avoidance avoidance of tax, and it does it quite well. Um, it might be more difficult, you know, under under uh, state sponsored 51% attack, um, but it is possible for Bitcoin to survive that. It's just not provable whether it will. Right. Uh, so yeah, my my hope is that more people will use it in a way that can survive those kind of attacks. But I know. You know I know they won't unless it matters. So, some people have to kind of continue to develop things along those lines and resist, you know, resist an evolution of, of Bitcoin into a system that can't survive those types of situations. Right. So a lot of the a lot of the core devs understand this very well. It's why they resist big blocks. It's why they resist you know why they work primarily on anonymity. Right. It's the major thrust of Bitcoin development right now is enhancing anonymity and privacy. Um. It's it's essential, it, you know. It, Bitcoin is pretty weak in those respects, and being able to hide is is central to the value, you know, to the value proposition to be able to avoid paying that tax. Right. And so, um, it, so sorry. I never. I sorry. That, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I don't advocate people do one thing or the other. I, I make tools and let people do what they want to do. And people ask me, what should people do? I think well, you should do whatever they want to do. That's the whole point. If they don't want to use this, they should go use something else. But um, you know, I I think. It's a decision that each individual person should be able to make, and we right.
0: make the tools so that they have, can more effectively make that decision. But why do you, why do you want more people to use this or for this to exist uh, to continue to exist and and expand? Like you want to avoid paying taxes to the state. You want to avoid. I some want sense people of to visual? be able to. I want people to be able to make that decision individually. Right. But what's your individual uh, decision? Like why
1: why do, you, like I I I. I like people being able to make their own decisions because I'm an advocate of human liberty. Um, right, but if, if, we, if, want we,
0: to, if we don't say people, we say Eric. Like, why does Eric want uh, a black market money to exist? Because I think,
1: because, well, Bitcoin is a black market money. Uh, it, it's only securable in that context. So if I'm going to work on Bitcoin, that's what I'm going to work on, right? Uh, why, why should a black... Why should a black market money exist so people can do things that they want um, that are peaceful and and uh, they don't want to ask for permission to do? right? Uh, and you know some people only think of this in the context of the West. I mean, there's plenty to, there's plenty to complain about there, but you know you go to a you go to some very oppressive regimes and um, people are just trying to survive, and it's very difficult to do. And um, you know, I, I like to help those people to the extent I can.
0: Sure. I, I get I get that I, I mean personal motivations for using it rather than you know working in it and engaging it building it developing it you know as a you know anarchist what are you know the personal motivation for just being able to use this in your life
1: for the same reasons for as everybody else who would use it you know I'm not going to go into any details but you know <laughs> um, Bitcoin has certain certain value propositions that are useful in different scenarios and. Um, I mean I, I use Bitcoin buy some tickets or whatever, buy a beer, send some money to somebody across the country. Just it's just easier if we're all working in Bitcoin. So I use it like that plenty. Um, but you know, there are other cases where you want privacy, you want anonymity, you don't um you know, you're doing something illegal, you wanna you wanna be able to um opt out. Yeah. and, you know, send some money across the border. I mean shit, how do you even try to send money to Iran? <laughs> you know, buy some buy buy like try to go on a trip in Iran and you can't, you can't use your credit cards, you can't send the money and you, you got to, you know, book some hotels, whatever we went through this a few years ago and basically you have to hire a travel agent on faith, you know, hire them um, and they book everything for you. They take all the upfront costs and they hope you show up and, and pay them right, in cash because that's the only way you can do it. Right. So I was, I was thinking at the time and I could just send them some Bitcoin, you know, it'd be, it'd be a heck of a lot easier. I wouldn't have to worry about these currency controls that are in place, but we didn't, and we didn't do the trip because we weren't sure we could make it and couldn't get the visa in time. So we didn't want to have, have them take all the risk of fronting all the stuff and then losing it. So we just said, sorry, we'll, we'll try again another time. Right. But those things, those things happen all the time, and, and Bitcoin, you know, um, Bitcoin makes that easier. Of course, that qualifies as, you know, money laundering or evasion of currency controls. Those are American currency controls. So, um, you know, everybody's willingness to do that is based on their own risk tolerance. And the more visible you are, the harder it gets. Um, so I avoid some of those things, you know, because I don't want to take the risk, but um, I want people to be able to do so if they're willing
0: and if it's maybe necessary. So basically, Bitcoin facilitates more activity in the black market and the black market is basically the market where there's a, a set of activities that uh, people want to engage in that are not um, permitted by the state or the regulatory uh, uh Thing the, the 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 regulatory machine and so B- Bitcoin is facilitating people basically to it, it's making it easier to be an outlaw to put it a little bit dramatically
1: yeah. yeah but it's there's more to it than that it's like you know there's this there's this distinction between bitcoin itself being outlaw money and being out an outlaw activity and bitcoin supporting outlaw activity and um when I talk about Bitcoin as a black market money what i'm I'm not saying that not saying specifically that Bitcoin exists so that people can go do crimes, other types, right? Other t- types of prohibited prohibited activity. What I'm saying is that Bitcoin's security model um, is designed so that it can operate when it's not allowed. Even if you're just, you know, going out of the store and buying some coffee, right? It's not allowed to do with Bitcoin, right? But you can do it if you want to, and so it's designed to survive when it's not allowed. But because of that, right? And because of other properties that it has. As a consequence of that, it tends to be more useful when you're doing other things that are not allowed as well,
0: right? Yeah, and, um, and, and like, like you said, you I hand, mean, hand. we already have a politically sanctioned money. So the fact that you know it's currently allowed in the white market, I mean, who who really cares? This is designed to facilitate activity in the unregulated, the black market, right? Well, so
1: not the unregulated, right? The the unpermitted, right?
0: right? Sure, sure. The one the the one that's not, uh, yeah, the unpermitted, the yeah, the, the black market. Both regulated, right?
1: It's just that the distinction is not who's the doing the regulation. The is, no, no, the distinction is who's obeying, right? You have the set of regulations that apply to the market, right? All of it. And then you have a subset of people who refuse to obey those controls. That's the black market, right? It's not a different set of regulations, right? For example, you can, you can get heroin. Legally, right? You can you can get most illicit drugs legally under the right circumstances, or under the circumstances, even during alcohol prohibition. You could, as a church, you could get alcohol for services, and you know, these these are not ever pr- completely prohibited, um, not usually, but it's a so it's it's kind of this continuous spectrum. And at some point, people say, I'm just going to do it anyway. Now it's now their black market, right? It's not that the substance is black market. It's not that the act is black market. It's that the people have. Refusing to comply, yeah, pay sure. the ta-
0: Right. So I guess my point was just that the fact that it's being integrated into the white market in certain instances right now, it's like you've said this before that we already have a you know politically sanctioned money. You know, so it yeah. doesn't really do much for for people operating in that market. It's it's designed for the people op- want, that are, want to operate in the black market right so that's
1: what it's designed for but it can function in either as long as it's allowed and that's what we have now it's largely functional in in most places and right but my point is just like
0: people don't you know the the revolutionary aspect of this thing that a lot of people feel like nobody really gives a shit that there's another sanctioned currency in the world there's hundreds of them and we don't really have you know it doesn't it doesn't advance things in in the eyes of people that are looking at it from a revolutionary perspective that much we want we're looking at it from the way that it it Disintermediates those political monies, right? It, that that it it provides more freedom for activity that's more difficult to control. It facilitates the exchanges in the black market. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And and people, a lot of people just don't, especially people that are speculating, right? They want to see mass adoption. They want to see the everybody in the you know, white market pull it up. So they 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 let that. That's a very different perspective on Bitcoin. If you're if you're if you're speculating on price growth, um, you don't care about. You know, it may, maybe you do care about both. Right. But uh, it, I think it tends to blind people to the reality of what Bitcoin actually is. Um, and that's why we see, you know, splits in the community. Some of them, right, are a consequence of this issue. Like Mike Hearn decided, he actually explicitly said, you know, you can't defeat the state. So I'll go work on R3. Right. Right. It, once you decide that, I call it the axiom of resistance. You have to assume that that's possible. You can't prove it, but if you assume that it's possible then you then you might work on bitcoin. If you assume it's not possible, you absolutely wouldn't like why what would you bother um
0: yeah i th- I think a lot of people in the space are probably hoping that as the economic mass of of bitcoin grows, the price will increase so their hold the value of their holdings will go up, and the fact that it more people are engaging in it has a larger economic mass it will be able to resist the state more effectively the larger it gets. Do you have a, a That's that's yeah that's hope that? as a
1: security model, right? <laughs> yeah maybe that happens, but you can't prove that, right? There's no it's just a political argument, right? Maybe we'll, maybe people will vote for a, you know, a, a money like bitcoin. But again, if they wanted that, they could have that already. So maybe the educational aspect of it'll be enough for people to wake up and realize oh we really want sound money but you know, or, you know I actually I, I tend to avoid that term but we, we want we want uh, money that's not so heavily taxed but once they realize that well, why don't they just vote for a better dollar right you could achieve that with the dollar um, so so the it, it, it's it's again it's a hope it's not something you can demonstrate um, or that we observe right um, and it didn't happen with gold which is an extremely popular money you know, around the world for centuries, um, and then all of a sudden it was illegal to use in transactions and um, or for pricing transactions, and then when electronic money became kind of the, the de facto standard, those prohibitions went away because they're not really relevant anymore. Um, so yeah, the idea that oh, it's so popular, you know, and everybody holds their wealth in it, therefore, nobody could possibly make a slight change to it to add, say, an inflation rule so that the state can now have monetary policy, or that they could uh, add a censorship regime so the state can now see what everybody's doing. But those two those two relatively tiny changes to the code, is a perfect money for the state. And I, I'm pretty sure that a lot of the white market so-called Bitcoin businesses would embrace those. If it meant regulatory certainty and you know safety from, you know, um, the risks that they think they might be taking otherwise. So, and people would still see it as Bitcoin. I call it Fedcoin, right? So we make these changes. Now it's the perfect money. But without those changes, the state is relinquishing a major tax vehicle. So people might want it, but people who want a state that has money and the state's going broke, they might say, well, you know, people are laundering all their money, and you know, we need. To, and this, this, this was what happens when any currency is failing, right? You blame the speculators. You you put it you pose price controls currency controls and we went through this whole progression in Venezuela over a period of like a decade um, where the people actually embrace those arguments right they they blamed the speculators the people who are raising their prices the people who are hoarding right these are all a consequence of um, uh, the taxes that are being applied to the money and uh, the consequences of those you know surface in a certain way and then those become the evils and. You know, so people come along and say, "Well, yeah, it's, it's all this money laundering that's going on with Bitcoin. It's all this tax evasion. Um, you know, let's let's blame those people." So you already see these arguments being made, right? There's 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 regular, you know, very obvious statements being made at the political level that this money laundering, you know, won't stand. Right. And if people if people didn't agree with that, they would simply, you know, vote those people out and say, "No, Bitcoin's great." But again, it, it comes down to a political vote which we already have the power to
0: to do. Yeah, but the the value of the total value of, let's say, the, the, bit, the economic mass of Bitcoin continues to grow despite these detractors, despite these arguments. So I guess what, what I what I was referring to was if that con- trend continues, because, you know, you've mentioned before, like the state could very easily attack Bitcoin. In one centralized location, get enough hash power to 51 percent, it, and then it really becomes a battle of of fees and how much tax money the state is willing to uh, use to subsidize their you know the discrepancy between presumably
1: before they do presumably before they do that they just simply pass a law that says you know Bitcoin is money laundering if you do it you're going to jail right then that wipes out the entire white market um, anybody who doesn't want to operate illegally and then and then when that doesn't fully you know achieve sufficient results, then you move on to a you know, 51% attack against the black market. Um, and this may be individual countries, right? There may be whole countries that are like cool with it. And so they just, they're they just from the, from the, from the um, authority that cares, right? From their perspective, they're just rogue nations. They're just part of the black market, right? Right. So it's, it, it really only matters at that point whether the, there's enough economic power in the black market to overpower
0: that, that control. Right.
1: And that's not really knowable. Um, right. That, that's
0: what I was referring to.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, I was just pointing out that you kind of skipped over the, the most easy and obvious step, which is just sign a piece of paper and say it's money laundering.
0: Yeah. And then this this goes to the speculation, argument, discussion, whatever you want to call it, of to what degree, if that you know came to pass in the future, uh, to what degree do people have the capacity and the willingness to resist? You know, and I this this might get a little bit dark here, but. You know, uh, another thing I've noticed in the Bitcoin community is that there's a lot of uh, gun supporters, you know, because I think people are inherently realizing that should, you know, push come to shove, as it were, Bitcoin, yes, is a a tool that facilitates a lot of things, but it's not a perfect tool. It doesn't solve all the problems and it certainly doesn't, you know, resist the power of the state on an individual level. And I think this is why a lot of uh, people in Bitcoin are kind of recognizing the importance of, of being able to resist now I'm not saying that that's that they're gonna be comfortable and willing to do that because that's a very heavy decision that has a lot of implications we have seen examples in history of people you know will as you mentioned the pitchfork scenario where, pe- where people were willing to take the risk to you know their life effectively to resist because they believe so strongly that a change need to occur but I think you know that that's an interesting uh, uh, That's an interesting component of Bitcoin that I've seen in almost all of my discussions with people. Is that there's a recognition that being able to resist on an individual level to that type of state intervention it it, it may become important. It'd be essential. I mean, if you want
1: to operate, you know, know, uh, once once it's not allowed, you have to resist. Right? You are resisting, Um, and that may come down to no. So. So security in all things comes down to humans taking actual risk, right, to, the, to their persons. And that's something that people ignore in Bitcoin a lot, like it's the crypto that, that provides the security. That's just nonsense. It's just, it's just like a gun. It's a tool that makes it easier for you or, you know, um, somehow facilitates you taking that risk. But you're still taking that risk. And some people recognize that and, and realize that, you know, if they're going to continue to do this, they're going to have to defend themselves. But... The idea of individuals defending themselves from the state with guns is, is fairly naive. Um, so, Why is that? Uh, you know, in mass, because they tend to go to jail or get killed. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it does happen throughout history. Right, right. Things, things, you know, not on an individual basis, right? You get Ruby Ridge or something, right? <laughs> you know, you don't get. Um, so we're talking about you know wholesale revolution. You know, yeah, possible. But that's not individual Bitcoiners deciding they're going to protect their node from, you know, forced rule changes or go to jail. Um, so, uh, and, and also I'd point out that there's plenty of people in the Bitcoin community who are anti-gun people, right? They're, of they're course. Kind of, kind of, yeah, so, so this idea that everybody agrees, right, on, on the appropriate powers of the state is just kind of a mythology, right? We kind of live in a little Bitcoin bubble. Um, but there's a vast amount of the population in a lot of countries around the world that are just totally anti-gun. Right? They've been taught that they, you know, that the state is their protector. Um, there are vast amounts of populations around the world, including the U.S., where they believe strongly in, in, you know, what we call social benefits. Right? Taking from some people to give to other people forcibly. Right? And then we start talking about tearing that down. Right? And and no, that's not what they want. So other people might want to opt out of that. And, you know, Bitcoin gives them somewhat of an option to do that um, but this idea that there's a one people that has this voice is, is you know it's mythology it's just um, everybody fighting for control over other people
0: yeah now yeah I wasn't suggesting everyone has this one voice I was just pointing out that in 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 history you know a group of, of pe peop- groups of people have come together to make you know, big yeah. political change, right? It does happen, and
1: it doesn't just happen because they're they, they want their Bitcoin one day. That happens because they're starving, right? And you know, Russian Revolution, French Revolution, you know, maybe not quite so much the American Revolution, um, but still onerous taxation, um, oppressive laws, right? Well, this and, goes and back to, to what point- we were just
0: saying earlier. It gets to the point where people actually decide through their behavior, not through a stated preference of any sure. kind, that you know, they are unwilling to tolerate any longer the existing you know yeah, political apparatus um, of the state.
1: It, historically that's that that's quite goes quite a bit further than what we currently see in the West. Right? Sure, and, sure. And and you know, you get to a place like Cuba, North Korea. That's pretty oppressive, right? I mean North Korea especially. And still, you know, they're just they're still there. I mean if they all rose up at the same time and decided over to the state, including maybe, you know, the army, they could do it easily, but they don't. And and the idea that they just will because they learned a little bit about economics is you know I, I think a little, a little bit far fetched. Yeah, right? sure,
0: sure. And I, I'm, not, I'm not really I'm, suggesting. I'm not that. ruling it out. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm I'm more I'm more you know I'm uh, more thinking out loud that you know in in all of these examples of re- revolution at some point there was a, a a point where a group of individuals however large whatever it was became aware of you know, a level of oppression and their unwillingness to tolerate that level of oppression exceeded their, their, uh, their desire for, to maintain comfort and security and, you know, status quo and therefore the action and therefore whatever result uh, manifested from it. And so I'm, I guess I'm just, I'm not saying that, Bitcoin is going to red pill everybody, but things like Bitcoin seem to have a capacity for revealing the oppression that the state um, is carrying out. You know, whereas before, maybe there wasn't kind of that focal point that 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 shined the light on it. Something like Bitcoin seems to at least be a light to say to to reveal more oppression once you learn more about it. And who knows, maybe that will have no impact whatsoever. Maybe it will be an impetus for behavior change.
1: I mean, you're you're preaching to the choir. I mean, I this is I, some, sometimes I you know we get on these I get on these discussions and I I'm pointing out the flaws in various theories. But yeah, I mean, that is a hope of mine that people will become more aware of you know what they're paying, you know how things really work. Um, but ultimately, you know, you can't show that that will have any real benefit to individuals or collectively you can't really know that. right? It might happen, it might not. What we can know is that an individual person that goes and uses it can get some benefit from it. And to me, right now, that's enough. And if more people can do that, that's even better. Um, the the other potential benefits, you know, there's other consequences, right? If, if the state is not able to stop it and it's taking tax money away and people are realizing what's happening, the tax just shifts to somewhere else, right? It's It's not as if The state doesn't collect the maximum amount of tax that it can collect. It, it, you know, the tax may there therefore become more visible because it's not coming through the money. Okay, that that might lead to people becoming more aware of them themselves being taxed. I mean, in colonial American days, um, you know, the the old tarred and feathered tax man was a real thing. The guy, guy, uh, a a local usually would, who they're all Brits or they're all all UK citizens. would, would get a contract from the crown to go and collect the taxes. And he was personally liable for that amount of money being paid. So he had to go get it, right? And uh, he would get it by going door to door and taking stuff from people if he had to. And uh, that eventually, um, you know, led to some real conflict. Um, the, first, the first rebellion in the United States, the Whiskey Rebellion, uh, you know, was a was a was actually a fairly major conflict um, for the day. You know, George Washington getting up on his horse as president, riding out into the mountains to put down a rebellion <laughs> because people didn't want to pay their tax, you know, on their whiskey um, for the war, and uh, and they had to set a precedent, right? So when the tax becomes vis- becomes visible, people tend to resist more, and and, they're, and maybe they just resist by voting. You know, who knows? But um, those are all uh, tangential you know, effects that are just guesses, right? Yeah. We can say, well, maybe this would happen. Um, so I like to, you know, yeah, these are all potential things. Are, to me, it's better for things to be more open and people be more aware of what they're paying. And, um, you know, maybe it has that effect, but I like to focus on what we know is going to happen, what, we what, what, you know, under this circumstance, this is how it works. Um, I don't, you know, for example, like, you know the, the the idea that the security model is based on hope, right? The way Bitcoin works is we all hope that they don't pass a law, and we all hope it gets big enough that it somehow be impossible to pass a law. And so we focus all of our effort on that instead of building something we know uh, is part of the security model, which is making it more anonymous, making it able to operate at small scale, make it easier for people to do things under those circumstances. And we know that that allows people to operate in a situation where it's not even allowed. If they choose to, Um, you know, so, you know, hope being the security model of Bitcoin to me is just not a very rational thing. Yeah, I Uh, think
0: I think most people would would even I think they'd push back on admitting that that hope was their fundamental, you know, perspective on the security model of bitcoin now maybe their behavior would would imply something else but i think most people would would not ascribe to that they realize that that's probably probably not a very uh strong approach but i wanted to ask you about this kind of related to all this you know another narrative is you know the system the existing monetary financial system is Crumbling before our eyes. There's this system that we're building in tandem to that. So, so how is it crumbling before our eyes? I would, I would just like to take the assumptions
1: and, and open them up a little bit. Sure,
0: sure. Um, and again, I'm I'm trying to articulate a narrative that I hear a lot, right? But the, what what I guess what people would say is that the 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 system has more debt than it's ever had, and that the government is having to you know. Monetize a lot of that debt, and whether it so shows up in inflation or in extra taxation, or So the system
1: has debt, right? What's the system? Is it me? Is it you? What,
0: what is the system that has debt? I guess P, the legacy financial system, the white market just, financial So somebody
1: system. holds the debt, right? Somebody holds an obligation to somebody else to pay back, right so So this amount of debt we're talking about um, has to be held by somebody, and the question is, who's holding it, right? Um, these are just assumptions people make, these are vague concepts they put out there. Well, debt is credit, right? They're the same thing. Somebody has the credit, somebody has the debt.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And credit is lending your money or your capital to producing, other, to producing things, right? Whether it's producing some psychic value benefit of you living in a nice house or producing products, whatever, that's, that's the purpose of it. Um, without credit, there's no production whatsoever. Right? Something has to be lent to somebody for some amount of time. Some money has to be burned before you can produce anything. Right? Yeah. So credit is the, so- the sole source of production. So you could say that in a system with a lot of debt, which means a lot of credit, you have a system that has low time preference and a lot of production. So right off the bat, you have to ask yourself, are we talking about an inherent evil here? Right, um, Just in a free market concept, right, without the state, without, without anything, just the concept of debt.
0: Right. But does it does it matter how that's created? Like if you can create if you can just you know what's your opinion? I guess right now on the U.S. you know creating how is
1: that created? Somebody has some capital. Somebody gives it to somebody else in exchange for future returns, promise of future returns. That's how it's created. That capital gets consumed in production, right or consumption, um, which everything that exists is consumed, whether it's in production or or in production of psychic you know value as we call it. Um, so so all things that exist are constantly being depreciated. They're being consumed and production required to to replenish them. And when you have greater production than, than depreciation, you have growth. Without production, you have nothing.
0: Yeah. Um, maybe, so, maybe you can provide some clarity on this for me because maybe I don't have it squared properly in my mind. But let's just take like a concrete, firm example of what happens today in the U.S. where the government issues debt. Uh, they get, you know, Federal Reserve notes in exchange. That dynamic, w- like, what is that dynamic in in your view? And what?
1: Well, I can explain. I can explain to you the process in at a high level. Sure. And go down into the lower levels, which probably bore all your listeners. But. But um, you
0: know, well, I, th- process- I think the reason why I ask is I I think most people see that as as questionable, but you seem to be saying it's you know a perfectly normal market dynamic.
1: Well, the market is the market. It rules everything the market always functions you have forces applied that shift decisions people make they're still making market decisions these forces um, in a free market right are the choice the, the voluntary choices people make in a in a market where you have an aggressor like the state a major aggressor that people either accept or they don't then you have what people call them distortions, right? But the, but the market's still functioning. It's just this thing all of a sudden got cheaper, right? The debt, borrowing money got cheaper or buying this thing, buying a house got cheaper, whatever, right? So, um, you know, getting a job got cheaper because they're, you know, governments is hiring people to dig ditches or something. So, so prices change as a consequence of taxes and therefore people's behavior changes because of market forces, right? So when you're talking about the free market, right and you so let's ice people fail to isolate these two concepts The you know a free market behavior from intervention in the free market where you have an aggressor who's stealing from people right free market behavior Um, you take a look at the amount of debt right that's a consequence and really generally it's a consequence of one thing and one thing only people's time preference time preference is the distinction between what you hoard and what you lend that Percentage that ratio, which we call interest, or the you know the, the 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 economic rate of return, whatever you want to call it, is the consequence of people's willingness to lend in the free market. And the amount of debt. So say everybody reserves at 10% and lends 90% of their capital, the amount of debt will be nine times the amount of capital. That's it. I mean, assuming infinitely small loans all the way down to zero, you you get nine times um, the amount of uh, credit. You know, slash debt is you have capital, and you get you get growth or you get production um, as a consequence of that at a certain rate. And so the difference between that and the rate things depreciate is your is your economic growth. So if people's time preference changes. You you get you know if it increases or decreases, you're going to get a different amount of, of credit in the system. But that's it. That's the source of the amount of debt. So some people will go around saying, "Well, low time preference—that's great, right? We, 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 wanna, um, we want to—we want—we want low time preference because that you know, means that we're producing more things, we're creating more value." But then the same people will go around and say, "Oh, debt—it's awful, right? Well, low time preference means high debt. That, that's what it means." Um, so, so it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Debt in itself is necessary. It's it, credit, and credit and money go hand in hand. Um, and without credit, there's no production. And then. Credit and debt are the same thing. But what See, happens a when market,
0: people to, can create the, 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 the debt out of thin can't. air?
1: They can't. They, they can't. It's just, a, it's just a physical impossibility. Right? I can issue you a loan. Uh, I'll lend you something. And I just did it out of thin air. Here, you, you've, got, you've got 100 bucks. Go do with it whatever you want. I just did it out of thin air. Okay? <laughs> what consequences does it have? None whatsoever because you don't actually have 100 bucks, right? I just said it. But isn't, now, isn't that what with, the state does? No. That's not what the state does. That's so not let, do. let,
0: let's bring it back to the current example of how the state issues debt uh, and how that so dynamic works.
1: For, first, let's look at how banks do it because people, miss it. people put this, people pin this on the free market. They blame banks just for creating debt, right? That's not what banks do. Bank, I could be a bank and I can say, okay, okay I'll create two accounts, one for your, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lend you some money. And uh, maybe I don't even have any money because I'm, I'm just creating debt out of thin air, as they say, right? I have no money, but I'm going to create two accounts. One's my, my debt account in other words it represents the money you owe me and the other account is your credit account it's the, it's the money that you have right and call me a bank I've done nothing but tre- create two accounts and this is how people this is what people mean when they say creating out of thin air they, they look at those two accounts they're offsetting accounts now you have credit right created out of thin air but we can't settle that debt it's not settleable because as soon as you go to withdraw your hundred bucks you find out that there's nothing there right well what if we just all spend it within the system right and, and nobody ever settles well, if nobody ever settles, then the credit is actually the money. Right? There's no, it's not settled. Uh, so people don't look at the settlement process, right? The, the settlement, the need to settle. Like when you go to an ATM and you take out cash, you take out dollars, right? You're settling part of your account. When, 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 a, when a Brinks truck drives across town and moves some money from one place to another, they're settling accounts. It's the settlement that makes everything work. And if you can't, you know, if I just open up an account and I say, yeah, you've got 100 bucks in my credit account, and you go to settle, you can't. You, know, you go spend it to somebody else. He gets a hundred bucks in his credit account, some other bank, and then the bank says, okay, you know, send me my money. And i like, I don't have any money, right? I'm out of business and this doesn't happen anymore. So that's that's actually what people believe is that is that the money is just the credit because they don't understand the distinction between money and credit and the necessary relationship, the duality between money and credit. So first you have to understand that, that you can't you can't create credit out of nothing except with no ability to settle. And which makes it worthless. So then you then you inject the state into this process, and what the state does, um, the mechanics of it are fairly convoluted. But the, the simple story is, um, it all comes back to the ability to print, literally to print the dollars. And uh, the tre- in the U.S. the treasury prints the treasury can print anything it wants, um, and sell you know it sells dollars to the Federal Reserve exclusively. It has a list of prices for the dollars on its website. I think it's 5.5 cents per dollar bill, and the price goes up slightly per bill, up to a hundred dollar note. And so there's a discount. The Fed goes, and and when the Fed wants some dollars, it just literally goes to the Treasury and says, "Print me, you know, 100 million dollars," and it pays, you know, uh, I forget what the number is, but if it's doing dollar bills, it would it would take a 94.6 percent discount on that amount of money. Now it's got that money, right? It just purchased it, right? It paid for it and it got it. <laughs> and now and now it can take that money and lend it out to people, right? So... Um, but it paid for it
0: the, at a 95% discount, right? So where absolutely. where's the 95% of value coming from?
1: It's a tax. It's coming from everybody else that holds the money, right? Okay, so they taxed everybody. Okay, it's just a t- tax, right? Right, right? So they taxed everybody who's holding the money. Uh, it's called signage it's as you know old as the hills uh, everybody knows how it works if the, the the government's even account for it as signage they're like oh if we did this we would lose this amount of signage and what happens is as inflation takes hold in the money the money becomes worth less and over time that discount goes to get smaller and smaller and smaller until it it costs 95 cents to print a dollar bill or a dollar to print a dollar bill or even a dollar 10 to print a dollar bill and what happens then that bill goes away and you see this all over the world right you go to Thailand at 20 baht is the, is the smallest you can get. You go to Vietnam, 1,000 dong is the smallest you can get. You go to Zimbabwe at one point, 100 trillion you know, Zimbabwe dollars on one note. That's why, right? Because the discount is going away because of inflation. So, and if you actually, it's interesting, if you actually look at the time when they went away, that's right about when it happens, when they become as costly to print. So the discount is necessary, the discount is a tax. And the tax accrues to who? Accrues to the state. So the Federal Reserve in the US buys these notes at a discount and then settles with them, right? lends them out, whatever. Now, they may actually the way it actually works is a little bit different than that, but before I go into that, it's important to understand that the profit that the Federal Reserve makes in in lending and then collecting interest on these notes that have been purchased at a discount is remitted back to the Treasury every year. Right? So whatever whatever profit the Fed makes, it writes a check to the Treasury. So the treasury, treasury provides the discount and then reaps the benefits. So that's setting aside all the, all the, all the operations on, uh, on treasury bills, treasury note. That's a whole other process. It's very similar in its behavior. But just set that aside for a bit, right? And just looking at the money itself. So when what actually happens is when a, ba- when a bank wants to issue a loan, it has to have a certain amount in reserve. And typically, it's around 10%. And that means it has to actually have some paper dollars somewhere that are that are that are on reserve, or something that they consider an equivalent to that. And nowadays, that's largely a large percentage of that is actually held at the Federal Reserve because it reduces the movement of those paper dollars around. And there's another complicating aspect of it, which is the Federal Reserve doesn't always print all of the dollars it's going to issue. It keeps track of them and under what what's called Fed obligations. So, it might print. 30, 40, 50% of the notes. As long as it has enough to keep moving them around, the rest of it it can count for on a you know in a ledger somewhere. So that the set of dollars that are accounted for um, are a sum of this yet-to-be-printed number and this actually printed number. But they couldn't do the yet-to-be printed number unless they could actually eventually go out and print them, right? So this ability to actually print the paper is what makes all of this work. So a bank goes to lend some money, it want it it you know, banks like anybody else if they want to if they're running a business lending money they're for interest what they're doing is they're operating as an as an investment fund they take in deposits or they take in loans which are deposits right that deposits a loan to the bank they issue further loans and they and they collect interest on those loans and they pay that interest to their people they borrowed from or the people that you know deposited people that invested in the bank it's all the same the people lent their money to the bank bank lends it out and uh, you know makes its own profit uh, on that investment and um, and has a certain amount of cash drag because if it's trying to maintain um, dollar accounts it has to have have enough liquidity to be able to do that so it's got about a 10% cash drag on that whole process okay so if if a bank wants to lend out money and it um, it doesn't have it what does it do well it can issue the it can issue the loan and then borrow the money from the Fed right the Fed I offers money its steepest discount to market rates. Uh, market rates of return are about ten percent. So um Fed will offer you know two, three percent loans to these banks. The banks lend them out at ten percent. So they, they make the difference. So how can the Fed offer discount loans to these banks? It has to it has to get the money somewhere, right? Well it gets it through taxation. It taxes people, lends the money out at a discount. That money gets lends lent out at closer to market rates. Profit from those loans comes back; it gets um, um, paid back to the Fed at their rates, and then the Fed remits that to the Treasury as profit, right? So the Treasury issues discount money, and then it collects the profit from lending out that money. Um, so where's the where's the value actually come from? It's come, you know, a taxation against all of the people who hold the money. Right. Has been offered to people who want to borrow the money, and a lot of times it's the same people, right? Homeowners who want discount housing loans. Small business owners, um, student loans, trillion dollars in student debt. Where does that come from? <laughs> discount loans, guaranteed loans, which is another form of discount. So it's not as if there's some funny accounting going on here. What's happening is people are being taxed, and that tax money is being offered to other people. That's the nature of the state. That's what they do.
0: They're just doing it through this so the, really the, complex mechanism. The limits of this system, and I, I guess when, when my original question, like, you know, people feeling that it it – maybe can't sustain itself forever is that the 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 overbearing effect of taxation is the limiting factor? Tax
1: yeah, tax. Right.
0: Now look at look at
1: Venezuela. Okay, they get a little bit crazy with it. The money devalues so rapidly that now people really, really see it, right? And they're like, oh what the hell's going on with the money? And first they try to blame it on the speculators and they shut down the borders and currency controls and whatnot. But eventually people figure it out. And um the tax becomes onerous right but right now tax in the west is fairly you know it's it's high but people are okay with it so they keep paying it even if they don't understand what it is if they came to understand it or feel the effects of it even if they didn't understand it there would be more resistance
0: so is that what but people should be looking at more yeah. so than, more so than inflation national debt whatever just well, simply tax
1: in price inflation in dollars for example is the indicator of taxation of dollars right that, that that's what they should look at Um, but people like their benefits. They like their discount student loans. You know, they want to go to school for free. They want to live in cheap housing, right? These are political benefits that are being offered, so they tax everybody kind of opaquely. People who hold the most cash, which, by the way, tends to be less wealthy people, right? People people who are much more wealthy hold a much smaller percentage of of their assets in money, right? It's just not financially wise to hold, you know, Money, not even, I'm not even talking about state money, any money, because it doesn't return. It, at best, it holds its value. So, or, you know, its purchasing power remains fairly constant, but investing your money in production is where you get returns, right? So, most people are, you know, that, that have a significant amount are invested in, in production and inflation, it operates as a tax generally, but it doesn't impact future returns, except for this kind of general effect of slowing everybody down, taxing everybody. So you end up taxing people who have less wealth um, in order to give it to people who are typically middle class or, you know, anybody who's collecting some 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 state benefit. And the political benefit of that is votes, right? You're very popular when you give these things away. So if you can hide the tax and get the votes, yeah, that's that's... Great, but the idea that this is somehow the result of banking is
0: just a—it's a farce. It's—it's—it's it's, it's just simply taxation. Right, and so this this dynamic where the state has seniorage and the, as you just described, it seems like it's inevitable that this sort of a system would lead to both inequality, social inequality, but also the ever-growing size and power of the state because they're just—they're the one yeah, well, because of seniorage, basically.
1: Well. Uh, inequality is a term I always take You know, I always take issue with because the objective is wrong, right? It, it is the the objective is evil, right? If you're going to define good and evil as uh, by the by the moral principle of non-aggression, right? The idea that we're going to make everybody equal is would have to be compelled, right? People aren't equal. They're they're not the same. They don't all want the same things. They don't all have the same abilities. And so, um, the objective is not for people the objective of free society is not for people to be equal. The objective of free society is for people to be free, to do what they want. And um, with their own stuff, to trade freely, to act freely. Um, and so that to me that's a non-goal. Right? Now it may result in certain groups of people getting taxed more than others. Well that's the whole point. Right? What would be the point of the state if they took the same amount proportionally from everybody and gave it back to the same people, right? There'd be no point. The point of the state is to take from some and give to others right but in and this case you're saying they're
0: problem. more effective at taxing the people with with that are poor because they have less ability to combat the effects of that taxation I'm, I'm saying with this
1: form of taxation which is one of many right it 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 stands to reason that people who hold more of their net worth in money pay more of the tax proportionally right um, kinda like a sales tax right like like People, people who spend all their money that they make every every paycheck on purchasing things to survive, whatever they're they're paying a higher percentage of their income in purchasing things. But um, Rothbard has a great chapter on this, you know, the the kind of fair tax chapter where he talks about like these things are more complex than people assume, like an income tax. And a sales tax, not really different, right? Because because when a company pays the income tax, it just raises the price of their things that they, they, they can sell or they don't get sold. And who pays for those? The people that consume them. It's the same same outcome in the end. Um, but the idea that the tax can somehow somehow be spread evenly or fairly is contrary to the idea of the state, which is to change the market allocation of, you know, of these things. It's to it's to forcibly change
0: what would happen in the free market. Okay so, so so back to the current example should i mean should we give a shit about national of of the level of debt about you know how all of that works about the the tax rate like what what's your opinion on that Well when 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 credit is offered to people at, at a discount people
1: take it right because it's free money and why wouldn't you take it you're already paying the tax why not get some of it back so the only debt that i carry is my mortgage why because if I didn't take it, I would be just giving more tax money away. So people, you know, credit will credit will increase if, if it's being offered to them at a, if people at a discount. It's being offered from other people or maybe myself. I right? am paying taxes and I'm, I'm recouping some of it in, in holding a discount mortgage, right? And I pay pay a few few percentage points in mortgage, which is, and part of it, formerly tax deductible, whereas I can keep the money that I would have paid it off with in, in investments and make 10%. Okay, so the difference is returned to me. I'll take it, but um, so you do have an effect on how much debt people carry when you know debt's being given out more cheaply. But on the other hand, um, it's being taken from people in tax, so they're they're you know they have less to pay it back with. So you can't even argue that there's more, more debt because of this. What there is is more tax, and. You can look at the amount of credit, you know, in the U.S. or in the world, compared to the amount of money, and you'll see that it's around nine times the amount of money. You know, credit in dollars is about nine times the amount of debt. In dollars. And and that this is a gross, you know, kind of figure, but it's it's ballpark enough to see that really that historical 10% reserve that that people tend to have, or that rate of lending, is fairly consistent. Okay, so what's actually happening? If there it, there's not necessarily more debt but you have a state that spends to achieve certain objectives and in order to spend it taxes. And some of that spending is discount loans. Um, and the state carries debt. Well, what's the debt? The, the debt is, um, you know, money that it's borrowed. And that's. so we now get into like treasury bills, right? How the, how the state actually borrows, which is different than just taxing through signage. Right. And there's some people that will argue that dollars are, Debt, which is nonsense. They're just—it's just money. It's just discount production because they have a monopoly on the production. Nobody can compete with the production, so they charge a monopoly price for the dollars. It's not debt. It's—it's—it settles. You know, when you accept the dollar, the, the debt is settled. There's no more. There's no more debt owed to anybody. So, um, when you when you're dealing with signage, you're dealing with tax and money. Um, and it's distributed through loans but it's also distributed in a lot of other ways and, and the tax doesn't even have to come from signaries the tax of the discount loans can come from anywhere so when you're dealing with state debt um, you know state issues state issues debt uh, people buy the debt because it returns interest well when when the when the state now is going to have to raise taxes to pay back the debt it becomes, Costly, especially when they don't, you know, can't raise taxes any higher, but they're still issuing more debt. So Congress goes out, raises the debt ceiling, authorizes the Treasury to go issue more bonds. The Treasury issues the bonds. Now they they, have got even more debt to pay back. So if you can get the bond rate down, right, the the yield on the bonds down, you're gonna pay less back in the end. So what happens? The Federal Reserve goes out and buys treasuries in you know on what they call open market conditions. So the treasuries get pre-purchased by Big banks, right? Investment banks and whatnot, and then they and then they know that the that the, the Federal Reserve is going to come along and purchase them, and, and so the banks take you know their cut on being an intermediary in this process, and the Federal Reserve comes in and, and buys so many that the, that the Treasury doesn't actually have to pay very much in interest, right? It, it suppresses the rate by providing a huge amount of demand, so that the Treasury, you know, the, the Federal Reserve will hold these these uh, Treasury bills, and eventually the 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 Treasury will, will pay interest on them at a very small rate. And then again, as I said before, the profit that the Federal Reserve makes goes back to the Treasury. Right? So, so um, where does the Fed get the money to buy the bonds? It goes to the Treasury and says, print me some money at a discount, right? And it gets taxed. So.
0: This system is it seems perfect. kind of like a Ponzi scheme, though, doesn't it? It's
1: not a Ponzi scheme. It's 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 very different than that. It's just a way to hide the tax, right? Tax itself is not a Ponzi scheme, um, as long as the as long as the amount that they have to pay back is is um, is sustainable, and that people won't revolt at the high inflation or the high taxes, they just keep doing it. And so what happens is we we have these very large numbers of outstanding debt debt to the public. They call it right at the at the treasury this huge amount of debt to the public and somehow that gets that gets paid back and the, and the federal reserve is not the only one that ends up holding these notes right they get sold on the market whenever and and and, and people then and they will treasury will have to pay back this debt and if they fail to pay it back they won't be able to issue new debt which will be a, a big problem so they do pay it back um but so if you look at like a trillion you know i don't know how many it is now 100 trillion dollars not outstanding debt to the public um, that is the debt that people should be looking at, right? Because when the when the when the state starts defaulting on those notes,
0: that's future taxation, right?
1: Well, yeah, but paying the paying paying off the notes is future is future taxation. Yeah. So it's not as if, I mean, as long as it has the ability to tax, it can pay off the notes, right? And um, a lot of the tax gets comes through the money, but it comes through a lot of other different different means. So. It's not, the, it's not quite the same as, you know, you and I holding debt where we have to go earn it to pay it back and just print some, but that's the state's form of earning, right? They, they, they tax people, so, so um, one, one argument we make is they just, they just decide to not pay it back, right? This happens all the time. It's, you know, some, some state goes broke or, you know, maybe, what was it, Cyprus, they just decide to take 10% of everybody's money out of their bank accounts, I think it was like 10% of, over, of everything over $100,000. In, in Russia, after it was like 91 or so, they just emptied everybody's bank accounts. In Zimbabwe, they they prevent people from withdrawing from their bank accounts. Right? There's all these different ways. They just take it when it becomes too onerous to actually print it anymore. They just kind of start taking it. So uh, Or they just raise your tax rates. And, and it gets to the point where they can't do that anymore. You end up with Greece or something, right? Which is, geez, we, we're kind of stuck. And we don't print the money ourselves. So... We've got to actually tax people and nobody actually pays their tax. Uh, so, um, you know, now we just start getting poor. Okay, you know, people are taxed into being poor. That happens. Um, but it's not as if there's this like, you know, the financial system has created this house of cards. The financial system is very rational um, and operates as a market. And what it's doing is it's trying to offset tax in many ways and try to try to find ways to mitigate it. Um, take advantage of the benefits of it but it's not creating debt right that the state is borrowing against the future right. to pay to, to provide things and so it makes promises like social security huge 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 promise right um what eventually happens is those promises can't be fulfilled anymore that's the default on the debt does it cause a you know complete social collapse maybe maybe not <laughs> maybe they just stop paying social security but usually what happens they whittle away at these things they start taxing social security benefits which happened a while ago start reducing them start raising the age of retirement all these things keep happening right just just keep whittling away at the obligation um you know start providing you know like medicare service you just provide crappy service right it's a lot cheaper try restricting medication start re- you know reducing the value of the benefit and that's that's what you see the debt getting getting paid off right getting reduced um because the obligation has changed over time and so, but that's really what you're dealing with: is is you know the state not having the ability to keep the promises it's made. Um, you know, and, and the one promise it does tend to keep is, at least in the U.S., is paying off its debt to the public, like the actual notes, the loans that people uh, that it's issued to the public, that gets paid. All these other things that are benefits, th- those are not obligations at all. Congress could just wake up one day and say, "Ah, cancel Social Security." Perfectly legal, right? No, no obligation to not pass that law, and the debt's gone. Yeah, there's a social impact, right? Let's let's stop giving out student loans, right? Let's 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 stop guaranteeing all this stuff. Let's stop spending on these programs. Let's shrink the military. They have all those options to them, uh, and that's what happens when countries get in heavily in debt. But that, that's not, you know, when you look at like the market and, and the amount of debt that people carry, those are market reactions, right? These, these are people like determining, okay, I can pay this off, there's a benefit to me, I want to build this thing right These are rational decisions people are making. The state is just basically hoping some future Congress is going to have to deal with this issue. We, you know we're, we don't we don't care about paying this off
0: right it's not 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 a concern but does it does it so if if the debt is a representation of future tax that has to be taken right uh, or paid by the public as it you know gets bigger and bigger and bigger year over year. I mean, is there not a limit to, to this? Again, back to the, the original question about is there not kind of a limit to the system? And a lot of people, especially yeah. in the Bitcoin space, thinking, well, Bitcoin is an alternative to the failure of the existing system. I mean, is that not a limiting factor? Well, The
1: system is the, well, the system. I, I just hate to use that word because it's like it's not the, it's not the financial system. It's the state, right? The well, debt sure, is, sure. That's,
0: I the mean, debt that, that that's what I'm
1: referring to. But the debt that matters is the debt carried by the state, you know, individuals, you know, borrowing from each other is perfectly rational and, and, you know, sustainable.
0: Okay. So, but they're pretty inter- intertwined, are they not? No,
1: no. I mean, I mean, yes and no. They're, they're, it's all connected. The amount of debt
0: that the state holds impacts, you know, the, the private financial markets and stuff like that. So, impacts, you know, the, you know, the taxation rate and the money, you know.
1: Yeah. Tax affects people and, and benefits affect, you know, tax and benefits, right? You. You take away some money from some people and you offer it to other people. And that affects people, certainly. It's the major effects on, on people. But, you know, if you stop doing that, market still functions. Right? That, that's not the problem. The problem is the state
0: doesn't function anymore. And the state doesn't like that, right? So you look at... Um, right, so I guess that's what I'm suggesting, is that the, the, the state's ability to operate, maybe that's a better word for the, it's impacted, the system. Yeah. yeah. So is, yeah, there, the is is the current, These are euphemisms, right? <laughs> right, right. Is the current way that things are operating going to be uh, in such a way that the state will be able to s- sustain itself, you know, and and that's what I was referring to about the amount of debt and the amount of tax they're going to have to collect.
1: Maybe. I mean, you know, North Korea's still operating. It's unbelievable, but you know. Well,
0: it's still they're doing operating. so. Yeah, and and I guess this gets into other areas where it says well, once uh, taxation or the state becomes so onerous it either either directly and consciously or by default enters into more author- authoritarian totalitarian measures in order to maintain oh, yeah. its power, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's what I mean when you look at So is that like, the
0: road we're on, I guess is what I'm asking. I mean is that is that the is that the endpoint of the way that the state, let's just say in the United States, operates, is that the inevitable endpoint?
1: Well I yeah, you know, predictions hard. But you can say that's how all states operate. They you know they can either be conservative with their spending and, and, you know, pay off all their bills or eventually they can run up a, a high enough tab that they can't pay it anymore. It's perfectly, you know, once you strip away all the perceived complexities of the system and, and look at what's really happening, that's it just comes down to that, right? Can we can we continue to take in enough tax to pay for the things that we want to pay for? Are we going to have to stop paying for them, you know, or, you know, as we, come, we become more authoritarian to keep ourselves in power, um, you know, people will just get poor and we'll maintain our standard of living. And that's, that's those models are played out around the world. All states, you know, to one extent or another, operate in that manner. And, you know, it's basically like an individual or a business that can forcibly extract money from its customers. Right? What incentive do you have to not spend? Right? The incentive is the customers will resist at some point and then you'll have an issue. And, sometimes people correct you know um, china made some changes that made them you know made the the uh, the state kind of more able to to survive where the soviet union didn't and they went away um, you know you look at cuba it's just you know continuing along at this at this at this low rate um, with enough you know balance between um, you know oppression and taxation that they can stay in power but eventually, you know, you have revolutions, and that, that that's just a—it's called a revolution for a reason. It's a cycle, right? Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've seen this throughout history. So people try to establish another system that tries to, you know, hedge against that that tendency. But I don't, you know, I don't think many of the so-called founding fathers of the U.S. ever believed that that was really possible. They just— Tried their best, right, and they said it, right, and probably would be shocked to to, to believe it's lasted as long as it has, um, because the, the the idea was that you know a democracy or a, or a representative democracy would be even more more willing and able to to uh, tax itself to death than uh, than somebody who was more rationally trying to stay in power as a king or something, right? Right. Um, so it's a it's a it, it's a natural political progression. And um, it's hard for people to opt out of it.
0: Right. right? And that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm fascinated by the Constitution of the United States, because, you know, going back to the gun issue for a moment, I mean, whether, was it not based in kind of the foresight that this system or this uh, type of government type uh, would ultimately devolve and that uh, power would yeah. concentrate and that people would have to have a, a, a means of resisting authoritarianism?
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's that's very evident right. in, in writings uh, of the time. Um, you know, this is
0: this is your last way to vote, right? Um, exactly. But and- that's very not outside of America. I mean, that's not a very popular. We have a or- different history, right?
1: We, we have a different history, and it, it, it was, um, you know, it, America, United States and you know America in general, North America, um, even maybe South America, has this different history where. Um, uh, people don't think about this very much, but, you know, the United States is, is the mixing not of just European cultures, but Native American cultures, which have a very different, you know, culture and perspective on these things. And I think uh, I listened to somebody talk about this a while ago, like the impacts of, of the mixing of those cultures over centuries, right, changed and the kind of pioneer idea, right, where you're just kind of out on your own in the open wilderness, right? This is this kind of romantic vision people have of, uh, of the founding of America, but, but it, you know, it's a different culture. Um, and, um, yes, it's so people at the, you know, at the time, there was a lot of things that kind of came together. I mean, 1776 was when Adam Smith published, you know, what, the Wealth of Nations and, um, you know, liberal economic thought and political thought was advancing pretty rapidly. And, you know, um, the American constitution kind of tries to embody a lot of those ideas, but they're also very English ideas, right? These are, these are, it's, 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 it's uh, memorialized in different ways, but these are largely stolen from, you know, um,
0: UK. Yeah. So if, if we kind of <clears throat> agree or accept that the, in, the inevitable conclusion to a, a political structure like this is authoritarianism, um, what i would not say inevitable
1: i'd say it's just it's it's there's a there's a gravity in that direction right and okay then eventually sure eventually people people do something at some point
0: right okay let's say there's a there's a gravity in that direction what and we were just talking about the constitution what is your you you've 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 said that you were used to be a card carrying uh, uh, member of the libertarian party now you're an anarchist what is the the distinction in let's say in being an anarchist vis-a-vis the the structure that we were just talking about how does it produce you know uh outcomes whereby the individuals in such a a structure are more free more prosperous or is that even the goal
1: um yes and no uh m- so to me anarchism is is a it's a personal philosophy right i don't so if you see the state as an aggressor,
0: so it's apolitical.
1: A yeah, I, mean, I don't know if apolitical is even the right, right word. Uh, but if you see if you see the state as the aggressor, and you're a libertarian because you want to minimize that aggression, but you don't want to eliminate it, right? You have this constant contradiction, um, and and in a lot of times that's what happens. People live with that contradiction for a long time, and they either give up on it and become just straight up status. You know, I mean, libertarians are status. They believe in the in the state, and um, or you become an anarchist and you go the other way. And um, when you come, when, you know, people take very different, I mean, there's very different interpretations of the word anarchism. I, I use it in the, in the purest sense, which just means no state, right? Um, non aggression principle is your single moral principle. And so, as with, you know, the idea of moral principles, you try to live by them, right? So you don't participate in robbing your neighbors. Okay, uh, you know, uh, you you may be compelled to do certain things, but you don't do them willfully. Um, and that's, that to me, that's the, that's the important distinction. Now, if a, if a lot of people decide they feel that way, the power of the state shrinks pretty dramatically. Um, you know, there's another approach, which is just go tear down the state, and then you're going to figure out what you're going to put up in its place, right? That That's, I, I find that kind of interesting.
0: What's, what's the implication of, of you know, having that kind of Uh, moral orientation as an anarchist but having to live in a society that is you know the the, whatever you want to call the political structure that we have right now I mean because we were talking about earlier about preference versus behavior if your behavior is going to be forced a certain way regardless what's the role of having a moral orientation towards being an anarchist
1: it's a distinction between being you know going out and Stealing, committing murder, or not, because you think there's a moral distinction, right? To me, it's the same thing. I, I wouldn't go and vote for the next mob boss any more than I'd go vote for the next, you know, mayor, um, because I don't see a, you know, there's there's not a distinction uh, philosophically in those in those cases, uh, in those scenarios. So, again, it's it's to me, it's just a personal philosophy. I don't participate unless I'm compelled to, um, and maybe. You know, sometimes I don't even participate, even though it's required. Um, I'm not required to vote, so that's very easy. I haven't voted in maybe 10 years. Um, uh, so, yeah, it, it, it it's it's very liberating as a personal philosophy to see things clearly and, and to live your life consistently um, by that single moral principle. Become a lot less judgmental um, and a lot less interested in what the state is doing right i mean i i sat in a pub today and it was like a continuous newsreel going on and i i, I honestly don't participate i don't watch what people call news i don't read papers um I, I live in this kind of political bubble and so my son is always telling me what's going on in the world because he's he's just a libertarian you know so he still cares um
0: man yeah but um um but being that, that's that's you know, the case you know do you and I'm, I'm i'm hesitant to use this word with you because yeah you know, do you, do is there any hope within you that uh, other people adopt that philosophy and as a result of that a different structure predominates uh, in a given society geographical area or however we want to define uh, you know society or boundaries is
1: there hope do i have hopes that will happen yeah. um,
0: or or would you like to see that happen
1: I, I really don't think about it too much. Um, I I like to see people doing what they want to do. I enjoy being... Freedom. With people. I Yeah, I enjoy people. I enjoy my own freedom, and, and I enjoy being with people that are doing what they want to do. And it's one of the things I love about the Bitcoin community. They're very, um, you know, it's not certainly not a consistent anarchist community, but they're very accepting of other people um, and their own, you know, their lifestyles. And so... Um, I I like to be around people like that. And to me, that's more important than, you know, trying to figure out some way to tear down some institution and, 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 uh, you know, figure out what I'm going to put in its place. I I just, you know, people have the choice, people have the choice to exit as much as they want. And if they don't do it, you know, I don't, it's not me, but I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna convince them that they have to, you know, um, it's to me it's almost you know it it is a religious philosophy because that's that's my one moral principle right non-aggression so there's no distinction in that between my political philosophy and my religious philosophy Um, you know it's it's the same Um,
0: non-aggression meaning you know not to impose via force you know behavior on anybody
1: not to steal from people it's a very very simple way to put it Stealing is, you know, people's bodies are their property, right? The property right. of their, their soul, their mind, whatever. And and so um, you have this, you have a rational concept of property. Um, theft is the one crime. And uh, it's an easier way to explain to people what aggression means than saying, well, you know, it's okay if you do self-defense, but whatever. you <laughs> know, Not stealing from people. Um, so, yeah, if you're defending yourself, you're not stealing from anybody. You're trying to prevent somebody from stealing from you. So... Uh, it's, just a, it's just a simpler explanation, but that's what it comes right down to.
0: Did, um, your, did your time in the military affect your philosophy or point of view on this stuff? Because obviously, the military is the you know the apex of the enforcement branch of the state, right? It's the the, the core of their their power. Uh, did that influence you and in your philosophies? In some states, I mean, you know, in the U.S.,
1: the, the military uh, is much less of a force in people's right. daily lives than
0: just the police right well sure um but if it came down to it you know if a hundred people rose up or thousand people, if
1: gonna, yeah if i didn't pay my taxes the army's not going to show up right the sheriff will probably show up eventually and
0: arrest me or something but but if a hundred thousand people decided to pick up their guns then the military would be involved right so it's kind of the, the last stop of the state power so did your did your experience yep. in that form your views in any way
1: not really um you know it it, it gave me an understanding of certain things but um my my evolution uh, to to a libertarian occurred early in my uh, military time it wasn't directly i mean it wasn't there was a there was a thing you know that that caused me to start looking it wasn't really military um and i just evolved from there and i got out not because of any political reasons i actually liked what i did i would have stayed in if i had another life to live but i Having only one, I decided I wanted to go out and start a business. That was what I was more interested in doing at the time. So after 10 years, I put in my letter and I got out. and I started a software company.
0: But isn't it the ant- antithesis of the non-aggression principle? You know, you're, the military, the, th- the activities they engage in. Well, remember, I was a,
1: li- I was a libertarian. So libertarians are not okay. anarchists. Yeah, so,
0: so the, <laughs> the anarchist philosophy came later because you wouldn't be able to claim to be an anarchist and be involved in the military
1: yeah well, do you pay your taxes? you know if you're an anarchist and you pay your taxes are you you know are you living a conflicting life? Well, the difference is so you have to pay the taxes. Choice. you choose yeah right. exactly right, so I had a commitment to the military, so at that point it still wouldn't have been a choice um, but once my commitment was over, I got out,
0: but I didn't get out for political reasons um, couldn't you just not you couldn't you break the commitment with without any uh, you know punishment not really I mean you know you have a commitment' there's, there's going to be some cost. Um, yeah, but it's still your choice, right?
1: Well, yeah, it's also your choice not to pay taxes. You can just go to jail. Well, right?
0: I, that's the same same question. Right? Will you go to jail if you, you if you like break your term commitment to the military?
1: Yeah, you be AWOL. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. So you, you just don't so, show up for work one day. You just say I'm not going. I'm not coming. Well, no, but anymore. if you tell
0: them like I'm done with this, you can't do that in the military. You no. can't. You can't say no, that. That's
1: that's called desertion. <laughs> So if if, that's a, that's a serious crime.
0: So if you say you're going to be in the military for 10 years, you absolutely have to be that. You can't say like, I, you know, if, I, if uh, you sign I'd a like commitment to quit. for
1: a certain amount of time, you, did, you just can't walk, right? You know, yeah, that's called, that's desertion. You go to jail for that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And if you, and if you, if you're on the job and you fail to actually do your job, fail to work, right? That's malingering. That's also a crime. Um, and if you take some you, know, you take some absence without permission, that's being AWOL, absent without leave, um, even if you come back, right? So th- it's not like you just walk away. But again, this wasn't a, a decision I was facing. I just decided that I wanted to do other things, and I stayed in because I was fine doing what I was doing. Um, but um, but after a certain amount of time, you know, evolving into the idea that I was not really a libertarian, I was an anarchist, uh, it would be very difficult for me to go back and work in any government role politician especially a politician right but 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 any kind of any kind of direct role would be difficult for me I would find it just just very unrewarding and counterproductive and 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 aggressive yeah and so um, I don't but you know it take it you know evolving from nothing it took me a while to get to that to that point
0: sure um, one of the one of the questions that I, I wanted to ask when we were talking about taxation and debt and stuff that I, I just I missed. Um, you know, one of the, the, the social trends seemingly emerging in the United States and other areas of the world today is uh, maybe a re and a, maybe I'm incorrect here. But it, in your mind, is there a reemergence of the popularity of uh, socialism? And if so, do you have an opinion on on that?
1: Um I don't know. I, I really, I really don't. I mean, to me, it's all. I statism. guess if you're not
0: paying attention to the news, you wouldn't be as uh, acutely, you know, you wouldn't be as aware as people who are paying attention. Yeah. To you,
1: the know, you know, everybody's always trying to trying to pin this on the kids right they're, um I've got I've got two two kids, 17 and 19. And, you know, they're not that way at all, but they've grown up with rational answers to questions. And so they've developed their own philosophy that's a lot more um you know understanding of the of the world but you know is this yeah there's a lot of that around but you know to me the term socialism is is kind of it, it, to me it's all just statism right the state has this power we bless the power we want you to take some money
0: from these people and give it to these people different manifestations whatever, of that power
1: whatever whatever label you want to put on that right yeah i mean it could just be nationalism and militarism it's all the same to me it's, you know socialism social welfare state, you know, communist state.
0: Are there any, Um, we have examples of quote unquote these different systems, right? Are there any examples throughout history of, and I guess you wouldn't be able to isolate it as a, you know, as a state obviously, but any examples of en masse anarchy in any places in the world in the way that you're, you know, adhering?
1: No, 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 I can think of. I mean, it's, that's why it's not like, I mean, there's, there's been times when people have said that. You know, there was the anarchists in Spain then the Spanish Civil War. Uh, there was the anarchists, the communists, and the royalists, I guess, right? And the anarchists and the communists stopped. They were fighting together until the communists, you know, started fighting the anarchists. And right. uh, Orwell went and fought for the socialist side, which was the two fighting alongside each other until he had to flee because he was on the wrong side. Um, you know, so if you ever get a chance to read Ode. Catalonia, which was what his the book that he wrote about his experience in the in Spain. Um, it's very interesting, you know. That's what I think. What made him, you know, kind of a cynic about a lot of things, even though he remained a
0: socialist for the rest of his life. Um, so, do you think that's at all, you know? Do you think there's anything in human nature in which we desire the comfort or, or certainty of structure, and as a result, maybe the the philosophy of anarchy is difficult for people to. Uh, even though they may fight for it in one sense, but then once they maybe get the power or win the battle or whatever it is, they're like, oh, we've got to st- structurize, we've got to solidify our ethos, our our way of interacting, and then that becomes the same thing all over again.
1: Yeah, I, I saw this in uh, in you know talking to Amir about Syria and Rojava. Um, hey, can you hold on a second? I need to get a drink of water. I'm going to pass out. Yeah, I'm going to do um, the same. Okay. <laughs> okay. Take five.
0: All right, so where were we (laughs) what were we talking about talking about anarchism and right right so what what it means you know one one of the i guess questions i had because the reason why we listen to these conversations the reason why we have these conversations at least one of them or i'll just say for me is i'm constantly trying to determine the best way to orient my life myself in this world and you know achieve the the things, objectives, relationships that uh, I want. And, you know, so from an anarch- anarchist, anarchist perspective, is the kind of operating life philosophy just to engage in, in work and projects that promote freedom and only, only, you know, comply with the state when you're compelled to do so?
1: Um, well, I mean the idea ideal is everybody doing what they wanna do. And if they wanna work on you know, if they wanna make cheese, I mean that's right, great. Sure. You right. know? it's not like always working on everything that's gonna
0: promote freedom, um, sure.
1: Promote freedom. That is freedom, right? And so living the freest life you can, living the life you wanna live is is I think the primary objective. And I I don't I don't go around and encourage people to stop what they're doing and go, you know, take up their keyboard and start writing some, you know, cypherpunk code or something it's right. um this is what i like to do um and um yeah it, it's it's so as far as you know life philosophy like i said to me i i i just came to the conclusion over time this is just a personal philosophy and and it's uh it does motivate me to make tools and do things that will help other people um live more independently yeah live more uh, the way they want and you know, you find I think out over time that that philosophy is very non-judgmental, and that's I think um, it makes you open to a lot more things. It makes people more attractive, you know, in general, and um, just doing what they do. And I've always been a, you know, I've always been very um, appreciative of just people who make things, who do things, who who you know achieve things, um, doing what they like, and and. Uh, um, So, you know, it's there's this this principle of non-aggression is just the kind of, I think, universally understood concept um, that you don't steal from people, right? There's not not many cultures in the world that that don't understand, uh, even if they do it, that that's you know, there's 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 um, a moral issue there. Yeah. Uh, And so, it's really, if that's the one. If that's the one thing that everybody kind of inherently agrees on it makes it very easy to get along with people and and uh, relate to people around the world um, with all different types of backgrounds cultures whatever it's just very easily understood and, and so you live your life that way and you find um, the world's a pretty easy place um, you know there's 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 difficult dangerous situations you can get into but I think a lot of people get into tr- trouble just because they're either uncomfortable um, around people that are different, even though they're peaceful, uh, or they're judgmental because they don't—they don't have, you know, moral clarity themselves. Um, and that's very liberating when you get—you get past that. And it, it just makes—it makes it unnerving to sit there and watch and read and listen to these things that are all about aggression, like, uh, like I—I started to say before, I was sitting in this small pub down the road today uh, actually right before we got on this call and you know it was just this newsreel just it's the standard stuff it's like local seattle news just going around and around and just nonstop, right just just shit and um i just had to i had to walk out and sit on the sidewalk for a while i, was, I stopped listening to it um it's like man this is what people listen to all day long it's what they care about you know it's yeah. what it's what's on the big screen it's either it's either some you know sports event or it's it's politics Um, you know, and so I, I, I just like to surround myself with people who are just making things, doing things, providing services to other people. And, um, you know, and some small subset of us, you know, are people that make tools to make that easier.
0: Yeah, I think a lot, a lot of people are, you know, are, are, look out on the world and, whether it's what you know the constant download from the news media or their perceived level of oppression from the structures in society and that sort of thing, and it it greatly influences their experience of of happiness and peace and yeah yeah, no, yeah absolutely, yeah, and what I'm hearing from you is that you know the the philosophy that you've developed has not that you are not aware of that, I'm sure you are, and as you just said, you're you're kind of hypersensitive to it from being down in the pub and being exposed to it for a very short period of time relative to everybody else. It's like kryptonite. Right, right. But, you know, I I get a sense of kind of, call it peace, call it zen, call it whatever you want from you, and I, I, I think there's, I mean, whatever people's perception are of the things that are impinging them, impinging on their happiness, there's, I'm sure there's some level of truth and maybe some level of, of self-imposed delusion or, 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 or a perception that may not be grounded in quote-unquote reality, though that sometimes are difficult to separate. Do you, I mean, for, for the perceived ills in, in, in society, for the ones that you perceive, is it just a matter of focusing on the things from which you derive happiness and peace, and that's your way of mitigating its negative impact on your mood or your level of happiness?
1: Maybe. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's part of it. Uh, I don't. I don't just avoid things because they you know they make me unhappy or whatever. I, you know, I'm just, I'm like, I just like not just seek out things that feel good. That's that's not. I mean, I work. It doesn't always feel good, even though I kind of yeah, mostly I, volunteer work i just
0: i don't mean in a hedonistic sense i kind of mean yeah, like focusing on the positive you know
1: but i'm not even yeah i, I can't i mean i actually don't have you know a lot of, a lot of questions you have I a very clear uh thought out answers from many discussions in the past and this is something i'm have to think about for a bit but um what do i do um i i do seek out well i tend to just Spend time with people that I enjoy, and people that you know that I that that have a very different perspective on the world. I find it difficult to relate to them, and and I and I I just um, don't just don't spend a lot of time with people that I can't connect to, and in, in some way they don't have to be anarchists, right? But just people yeah. that that um, that are doing things that are that are like I, I'm not a I'm not you know what we consider a religious person, but I have you know a couple of friends that are very uh, very um, religiousy. And I don't have any problem with it. You know, those, those things that are different are not problematic for me. It's when people are, are uh, their focus is aggression, right? It's, it's, it's about what everybody else needs to do. Um, and a lot of this is is kind of misguided um, perceptions on reality. It's kind of what you were talking about, right? They, they, maybe they don't understand what they're doing. But a lot of times the people who feel like they're the liberators are just the aggressors. And, and that's um, they're very common right you know oh, there's this oppression you know people said something to me they were oppressing me I'm like no they're just talking go somewhere else right yeah uh, so
0: well that's a huge issue in society today and if you're not if you if you don't yeah, keep no, up I, on I, the I, news I, and maybe you're not as familiar with it as many yeah, of us Yeah not but, a social justice warrior at uh, all right right right
1: um, you know but i'm entirely accepting of people of all walks and preferences and whatnot, you know, that, that's no issue for me at all. I'm, I'm not very accepting of people who, who want to, um, you know, oppress other people who, who actually believe that they're the ones being oppressed, right? It's just like this inversion that, that, uh, because people don't understand, um, aggression, they don't right. understand what they're actually talking about. Um, so that, you know, that tends to be, Yeah, I find that very off-putting, and I tend to avoid that. Um, But then you find some people who you might, you know, you might imagine are in that camp, and they and they're very different. Um, So I don't know. I just uh, this is again, this is one of these things where like I don't, I I haven't had to answer this type of question. (laughs) What do I actually do? Um, I just enjoy. uh, Like I travel a lot, right? I was I've been to eighty countries, and most of that's been the last ten years after I got out of the Navy. I mean, I've been out for 20 years. Most people say, well, I travel all over the world because of the Navy. Uh, maybe maybe 10 countries or something. But, um, uh, no, it's become more of a passion in the last, you know, 10 years, even five years, uh, where I just travel aggressively because I like to experience different people and you know, you just find the similarities of people all around the world and you find that even though they're maybe living in some op- under some oppressive regime, their daily life is actually very different they just ignore it and they go about their daily life they do they avoid it as much as they can and it's almost like they're living the same way that I imagine right like yeah there's this you know communist state or whatever we're, we're just out here working our asses off and making what we can and trying to ignore them and you know a lot of times the people they're trying to ignore are actually trying to ignore it too they're just they're just all in this system as you say, right where yeah. They, uh, they do the best they can. I mean, uh, so I find, that, I find that really interesting. I just enjoy people living their lives and, and doing what they want to do. And, and um, you just find that there's just a lot of, um, I think being open to, you know, if you, if you, if you really do truly hold that one principle, um, just being, it makes you very nonjudgmental. And that makes it possible to relate to a lot more people. And you and you worry about a lot fewer things,
0: right. Right. Well, that's it's, the peace you know, part, you know
1: yeah, yeah. You just worry about fewer things and you relate to more people, and it's more enjoyable. And so again, to me it's a it's a personal philosophy. I don't. Um, I, I had somebody say to me, um, uh, it was somebody's wife and one not a native English speaker, so so she said something to him, and he said, uh, I, I said what did she say and he says uh, she, she said you don't look like, he said she said you don't look like an anarchist <laughs> <laughs> like what's an anarchist supposed to look like right like, like uh
0: well there is that um, image of you know this you know lawless yeah anarchy has a, a bad uh bad branding that maybe we should call it you know
1: well and it's because it's associated with things that aren't actually anarchy now I, I mentioned like the, the, the spanish civil war like, they weren't anarchists they were just the the term I use is anarcho capital uh, anarcho-communists. Right. right, you take Rothbard's anarcho-capitalist, which is just a, an attempt to recover the term anarchist in a way that doesn't imply you're a communist or you know something. So there's a very fine line between the anarchists, you know, you know, uh, in the war in Spain, and the communists. They were in, you know they were partnered together. So, you know. Anarchist bombings, anarchist wars, uh, you know, people have this association with this violent, you know, um, group of people that want to overthrow everything and don't know what they're going to put in its place. And uh, so there's always that perception. But I'm just I'm just very straightforward about it. No, I mean, what does that mean? This means I just, you know, I don't contribute to the state. I don't see it as good. Um, And people can usually identify with that. You know a lot of people i talk to identify with that but would never even consider calling themselves anarchists uh, right. because of the baggage that's associated with it so i just decided i didn't care what people thought about what i said <laughs> it's like yeah if you want to know and i'm not gonna i'm I'm vast majority of time i don't even go like an capitalist because then then
0: that has other implications that people misinterpret i just like i'm just i'm just not a statist and just you know very brief background for kind of my perspective is i you know when i was a late teenage years Read a lot, you know. Consumed a lot. Looked out at the world a lot, and thought, you know, a lot of beauty in it for for sure. And I've always, my disposition has always been to be, you know, happy and optimistic. But I, I was like, oh God, you know, there's there certainly looks like a lot of headwinds and a, a lot of things that uh, at least I'm perceiving as being uh, undesirable in in society. And then that was a bit of a, a dark period. And I, you know, I you're you're either forced to accept that or forced to change your perspective adopt a different philosophy. And I would say mine, the, the one that I adopted was somewhat similar. I never called myself an anarchist, but similar to you, you know, your your perspective on judgment, perspective on engaging people with who, you know, whose company you enjoy, who stimulate you intellectually, who, you know, sh- you know, you know, focusing on the things that are in your control that you can derive meaning and, and happiness and fulfillment out of. And that goes a long way to mitigating the <clears throat> negative effects of your perceived societal ills let's say um and i you know what excites me is that that is just a change of mind and so when people talk about when when people talk about how bitcoin influences people's perception and and you know their philosophy and how they look out at the world and yes people get carried away and all that kind of stuff but i'm just excited for anything that has the capacity to you know change someone's mind change someone's perspective because that's you know that's the most powerful thing there is. You know we were talking about you know aggression and uh, state power and stuff like that. I mean it only exists because people have the that perspective. If if people everybody if if everybody felt the way that you just articulated, well there'd be nobody to enforce the power of the state. You know so all of this is just a matter of you know how we our perspective and how we choose to act and it. I don't know why I'm excited about that, but I think it's probably be because it's, that's such a, it's such a changeable thing. Yeah. And it's It's liberating.
1: liberating. You can, you can change yourself
0: and you
1: can, and you don't have to wait for everybody else to change along with you. And you can, and you can be happy and still, you know, contributing to something larger by being that way. Um, And as you said, you know, if, if a lot of people do that, then things do change. And, and, when I talk about, like I've talked to kind of more revolutionary anarchists, more traditional anarchists about change and, you know, they tend to be impatient and want to, you know, I'm not talking about violent action or anything, but, but, but just kind of aggressively go out there and force some change in the world. And, and my, my perspective is, is that change, meaningful change is economic in nature. It, it, economic just means the behavior of people, really, choices yeah. that people make. And um, so maybe you know, and, and tools tend to facilitate those those changes, right? Like, so you take the Industrial right. Revolution. Well, this was a it was a revolution of ideas um, that were pretty. I mean, the term radical is actually the term put on those ideas, right? That when you use the word radical politically, it means radical free market person. I mean, it, it means extreme free market person. It's a radical idea, and you know this idea took hold in the UK more than anywhere else, um, which became the center of the industrial revolution. And it was really, you know, there's always I mean, another another great Rothbard observation, you know, the world's full of great ideas. There's just no capital to produce, enough, you know, all of them. So, you know, it's like the cheapest thing in the world is, is great ideas, but people have to get have to accumulate enough wealth to be able to lend it to produce the next thing and, and so on. And so as people get wealthier, you know, we get better tools and as we get better tools we get wealthier. Yeah. Um that's that's an economic change. It's not it's not just it's not somebody coming up with a great idea. It's the economic change um that leads to new things getting produced you know, steam engines and, you know, railroads and things that, that people look back and go, oh, you know, what an awful time, the Industrial Revolution in England. And you're like, oh, what did they have before that, right? Why were they all flooding into the city to, to work at these jobs? Because life on a farm was hell, right? It's something to idealize it, but, you know, I come from a family of farmers, you know. They, no, life on the farm is hard and, and, and not a lot of people wanted to stay um, when they had the option to get out. So, you know, this this, this evolution of you know, increasing wealth leads to increasing exchange of ideas, travel, information. You know, uh, trade between people brings people together. It, it bonds binds them in in in, in different ways, um, makes them less likely to go to war with each other. And um, I, I, to me, that's the long arc of history. Right, um, wealth increases despite you know significant destruction of wealth by the state. Um, and um so when somebody says oh well, are you hopeful about the future everything's going to shit i'm like no it's not really how it goes you know i just keep chipping away at my little piece and and uh you know the world will get better over time
0: <laughs> yeah i think i think a lot of people you know and this may get exaggerated it may get overblown overly overly enthusiastic and there's certainly um this applies to bitcoin but i think you know people may probably recognize that that you know technology and innovation that allows for the expression of different forms of behavior and the types of behavior that people would deem more desirable at least from an individual perspective for themselves is kind of you know i think it they see that as a kind of salvation because as you just said you know the the, the different the different technologies that enable the expression of different behaviors if they're behaviors that you know we that are in line with our philosophy and that we we freely choose to engage in then you, you then it 's not a very big stretch to say that the technology well as the technology as an enabler of that behavior leads to the salvation that that behavior allows for tools you know what I mean
1: power, tools empower everybody you know good and right and uh, but that but seems to good. be
0: a trend too do, 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 i mean I, and I know that the, all tools can be used for evil but but there's more good know.
1: people in the world than there are evil people. That's the way I look at it, right? The vast majority okay, of people, yeah, yeah. Vast majority of people are, are, are not, you know, they are not at least knowingly aggressive, whether they're statists or not. Right? That's that's more a question of understanding um, than anything. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's probably a, I'm being a little contradictory because you know you could say that most people want the state and they want they want this, right. but they don't see themselves as stealing from other people. They don't they don't think of it that way because they've been conditioned. Um, you know, culturally, socially,
0: um, politically, to think that way. But anybody who hasn't been unplugged is is an agent. To borrow a metaphor from the Matrix.
1: Right. But if you but if you but if you give somebody the option to you know donate their own money to putting up a school. Versus going to their neighbor's house with a shotgun and saying, "Give me your stuff. I'm going to put up a school." Most people would rather give their own money, right? Right, right? And and so they just don't see it that way. So that's what I mean when I say people. You know, most people are 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 would adhere to that principle if they actually saw it as that. Um, and you see, it's it's such a you know, there's this there's this great great show my son loves called Practical Jokers. Ever, ever heard of this? It's it's been on for years. I never saw it till this year. And you know, it's uh, it's really interesting in a certain way uh this is three guys that are like high school friends they are like all gray and bald now they've been doing it for so long but they they start out when they're really young and they just they just go and break social convention they just go and uh, record each other they're like you know a couple of kids that are just stupid but but they, they're in new york and they just go to a park and they like they challenge each other to do things that are extremely embarrassing and eat off of somebody's plate you know sit down at their table you know um, whatever. It's, it's just, and and so it's, these guys are professionals. It's what they do. It's what their show's all about. And it's so hard for them to do. Sometimes they just don't do it. Like they take the penalty and then that's even worse, but they are still not going to do it. Right. Right. And, and it just shows you how strong social convention is, right? Like stealing somebody's food off their plate is, you know, really hard to do, but even something I like that they did one episode on line cutting. Broadway show big line you know around the block and and they're just trying to figure out you know who can get who can cut the furthest in the line and get up to the front and get the tickets right and and I it was funny to me because I always use this as an example of property right it's a great I just cooked it up one day I was in Moscow and I was at a Starbucks and sitting there with my son and and I'm like explaining to him for I don't know the umpteenth time property and I said, look, we're here in this place, it's owned by Starbucks, it's leased by, you know, from the building owner, or whatever, and there's a line up there to get coffee. And that's property being created, because people are people are taking possession of something and, and holding it. And every person in that line knows that it's property. And and if you go and cut in that line, you're stealing from everybody, everybody in behind you. Right, and they will. They will. May, they may not enforce it, and it may not be worth it to them. But a lot of times they will. But if you if you were in line and you sold your position to somebody else, that's fine. Right, sell your property. You know, most people wouldn't care if you stepped out and somebody took your place. Right. Um, if you ask somebody to donate their property to let you cut in line, a lot of times they will. Right. But it, it follows all these rules of property, and it's simply created out of nothing, which is kind of what property is, right? It, it takes some existing capital, like your body, to take possession of something and then make. And now it's property. So this this idea of everybody understands like theft and um, aggression, right? And and this is an aggression. You're stealing somebody's property, right? They've they've held this position, and now you're taking it from them. Um, and so it's just such a it's such a great example of of the the understanding that exists around the world in terms of uh, aggression, theft, property, how they're how they're formed, even if people don't consciously think about it, because most of the times they don't, they all understand it. Uh, and of course, you go to places where they 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 you know, like line cutting and, and mob lining is like they don't know how to queue, right? It's a different social structure, but there's still a process, there's still a structure that that exists. Um, I mean, you saw people standing in line to return their 100 rupee notes, and like six people died doing that, right? I mean, these lines were were epic, right? Yeah. <laughs> Photos of them, miles long. Um, and so, and it's interesting because India is a culture where you kind of get the feeling like there's no lines, right? They just, everybody just jams up to the front, you know, at every, every kind of time the traffic stops and everything, but it's actually very well ordered um, all around the world. So... Yeah, it's it's uh, all I'm saying is that there's this universal principle that's extremely hard for most people to to break, right? And that that just shows you that like these guys that do it for a living, like it's like so hard for them to to do something that 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 is considered, um, you know, it, it just shows you the the effect of um, of somebody's conscience, you know, on on what they do is pretty strong. For most people, right?
0: Right. You know, what 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 you just said also maybe was a good uh, example at illustrating um, something. And, you know, the, the line example where, you know, if you just jumped in front of somebody, then they would take issue with it. They yell at you. Maybe they hit you. Maybe they push you away. But if you go up to them and you say, I'll give you a buck or I'll give you this cheeseburger or I'll give you my line in next week's uh, yeah, whatever. Like, it. exactly. And so in this case, you know this is an illustration of trade mitigating aggression. And I think yeah. this is a pretty a, a pretty universal uh, benefit of, of trade and free markets. And that's why I think many of us are probably um, proponents of them because we recognize that the ability to trade is one of the ways that we resist or mitigate aggression. I mean, that's, yeah, pr- I mean- that's probably a pretty fundamental, you know, because otherwise we, you know, it's kind of a, it's a it, power dynamics at play. But the the fact that we, and this is kind of, I think, one of another reason why people get excited around Bitcoin and around, you know, maybe lightning network and the ability to trade in smaller and smaller denominations and things of that by using a different form of, of money is that because the more we can, uh, yeah the, the more we can, um, you know, categorize a, an entity of any kind, put a price on it and enter it into the market for trade. Seemingly, that is a, a huge um, facilitator of, of peace, of, of non-aggression, of cooperation, yeah. and I think that's yeah. why people get excited there, about these there's, technologies. there's
1: so much, there's so much misinformation or misunderstanding of these simple economic ideas that lead people to internal conflict, um, you know, unnecessary conflict. Like, for example. You, you want to sell something you name your price well some people will get this like because of the cultural baggage they're carrying uh, lack of you know kind of really thinking it through they don't want to charge too much because it's greedy right right, right. And I had this conversation with somebody the other day I'm like you charge whatever you want right like they don't have to pay you right? it's it's your stuff and if you're sorry if you're feeling if you're feeling bad because you' you're 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 not getting what's worth what you feel worth, but you don't want to charge anymore, then that's your problem, yeah. right? That's you know you have this hang up over um, this 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 kind of indescribable word that people call greed, which is just like, look, these are voluntary traits. And I, I've I've encountered like two people over the last couple of weeks. I had this discussion with was like, you, you know, you charge whatever you want, and 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 you know if you're if you're willing to walk away below that, you know, if you're if you're if you're happy above that, then okay, that's your, that's your, you know, whatever you're going to charge for this thing. And, and, uh, why do you feel bad about it? Right. You feel like you're a slave to this other person. You got to give them, you know, something that you don't want to give them. Right. And I'm like, oh, it's a so greedy. It's so much. It didn't cost me that much to make it or, or whatever, you know, like <laughs> that's irrelevant. Right. It's a classic business. Error. There
0: seems to be pushback in, in the culture today. You know, you, you hear people say like, you know everything has a price as if that's a negative but if if we extend you know what I what I just said in that trade actually mitigates aggression and facilitates cooperation and the improvements of the the lives of the actors involved in the trade then everything having a price facilitates more trade and that's actually a good thing you know and 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 the culture seems to or, or not the culture actor you know I commonly hear, as you just mentioned, you commonly or recently heard a couple, you know, had certain conversations in that vein. I've certainly had conversations where people, uh, you know, are, are disappointed that uh, everything in our, our culture today, quote unquote, everything in our culture today has a price on it. And they see that as a negative. And uh, in, in the context of this discussion now, and it's not something that I've really given much thought to, but it's, it seems like it's actually the reverse. It's actually a positive thing.
1: Yeah, yeah I mean I mean okay so we talk about a money price right as if that's different than a barter price somehow a barter would be better right just because now you just have more problems more complexity more difficulty but it's better because it's not a money price that's that's just a, a kind of an odd perception right like um, I'd be willing to you to, to trade you this horse for this cow but if I put a price on this cow and it's you know it's as much as the price on your horse then there's something wrong with right. that right I'm charging for this and I should be just trading it, uh, you know, it's, um, it, but then there's, you know, this, along those lines, you get, you get, uh, this idea of equality, right? Somebody's got more stuff than yeah. me, right? Well, did he steal it from somebody, <laughs> you know, maybe he did. Um, but if he traded for it and somebody gave him, you know, somebody gave him what, he, what they thought it was worth, then how is there any wrong being done here? Yeah. Right. I mean, the wealth objectively isn't, you know, again, not, not stolen, um, is a, is an indication that you've satisfied a lot of people to, or at least satisfied people to some extent that may be greater than some other person. Right. I mean, you know, there's also how much you spend (laughs) contributes to your wealth, but, but again, your, your, your ability to earn is a, is a reflection of how much you're satisfying other people, how much you're, you're doing it voluntarily, how much you're giving them what they want. Um, and in a free market where there's no monopoly protection, right? People make whatever they want and if you charge a price that's too high, somebody comes in and makes it cheaper. You lower your price, you stop selling it, right? And and uh, you know, people have all these hang-ups about wealth, like somehow we all need to be equal. Well, why? Right? I mean, that's just not even rational to yeah. me. Um, equal in what, right? So And so it's a, it's uh, it's a
0: boon to free markets, is it not, to have a money that is um, more divisible and cheaper to transact because it brings more potential exchanges onto the market. Is that, does that square in your mind?
1: Uh, it may not be, it may not cause more, I mean, okay. Like Bitcoin has a fee to transact. It's inherent in the money and it goes up. The more people around the world who are using the money at any given time, that's very unique, right? Nothing has that feature. Right. Right? And so we talk about a, a money that's expensive to use bitcoin can be expensive to right. use and then you've got taxes which are you know but that 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 cost is really offsetting other tax right so when it comes too expensive to use and it's actually the tax is cheaper you just use the other money right so um yeah monies do have cost to use there's a say cost for gold there's you know but, but um, gen- generally the lower the
0: transaction tr- fee the more Things we'd be able to enter into the market, right? Because some things will be below the threshold of the transaction fee, and therefore I, you know, I, I can't. They can't enter into the right, market, right?
1: Right. No. Yeah. You get this utility threshold where the money's not usable below some certain level, and uh, it's interesting that people talk about in Bitcoin. People talk about Lightning, kind of eliminating that, and that's just not the case. Um, you know, all all that happened, you know, with respect to Bitcoin, as as you batch up more transactions, the utility threshold it will actually rise, right? You'll be less able to use Bitcoin. Um, and, and people imagine everything just happening in lightning. But if you don't have the ability to settle, right, it's, it always comes back to settlement. People ignore this. Then there's no security, right? So um, you've basically decoupled the credit, which is, you know, it's a one-to-one credit, it's still credit on the money from the money, which is exactly what happened with the Federal Reserve note and the gold, right? They were They were bound. They had to settle in gold. And then they were decoupled. You're no longer able to settle in gold. So now the the dollar is the, the the paper is actually the money. Um, that's what settles the debt, not the gold. And in lightning, if you're just doing lightning transactions, you and you, it's too expensive to to open and close a channel. Say it's it to ten percent, you know, Bitcoin ten percent in fees of, of whatever the um, um, uh, you know kind of current average transaction value is, and, and, and so people are people are able to to you know open a channel at a ten percent of whatever they've. Um, They've opened it at and then they close it at ten percent. That's twenty percent. That's two years worth of investment gains wiped out just by opening and closing, right? So, so that becomes infeasible. And people say, "Well, we just want to open and close." And well, you have wiped out your security, you know, guarantees. You're basically floating now. Um, and so, so this is you know, getting more into the economic and crypto economic side of things. But by ignoring those consequences, um,
0: you know, people come to. Invalid conclusion. So does Lightning, in your mind, fulfill uh, any function? Any desirable function? Yeah,
1: yeah. It, it, it does. I mean, it's, it's a money certificate,
0: technically, on, on Bitcoin as
1: money. And, you know, it can allow people to do, um, to, you know, it, the behavior is pretty straightforward. It's bat, you're batching up multiple transactions and settling them in one transaction. But you need to be able to settle at any given time. Or you lose your security, so it has limits. Um, and um, but the money itself um, is still affected by that, right? So as as the as the transactions that are hitting the chain get larger and larger, um, because it's happening because the fees are getting higher and higher, so people are using the other money and then they're batching them up and, s- and settling them on chain. Um, What's happening is, like you said, you're wiping out all the possible utility in the money below that level, right? In in Bitcoin, there's no no transaction that can occur below that threshold. Well, there's a lot more smaller transactions than there are bigger transactions. So you imagine some proportionality between the small ones and the big ones. You know, you take out 50%, say the largest transaction you could secure on Bitcoin was a billion dollars worth. And then smallest was whatever one Satoshi was, right? And there's this range. Well, if you divide that in half and you take like a half billion dollars and you said, well, anything below that's not possible, right? We've just wiped out, if it's proportional, you've wiped out half the value. So in other words, as you move this threshold up, you're wiping out as much value as you're, as you're, as you're increasing in terms of size. Right. So you reach the conclusion that there, once you hit a, uh, a, a fee level that is no longer tenable, you've maximized, you've reached the highest carrying capacity of the money. And Lightning can't change that um, it can cause, you can allow people to, to, um, do, you know, to transact more, but they still have to have the ability to settle. And that's driven by the,
0: the price of settlement on the chain. So, so in your opinion, the lightning network's not going to kind of usher in a, a boom in microtransaction capability, at least not, you know, below.
1: If you're doing microtransactions that are worth pennies, right. But you're having to settle in dollars every time you, you know, open a channel, you're taking a huge risk, right? So it really is not, it's not as much of a mitigator as, as people think. And I tend to look at, you know, you can't really separate the money from the credit. People imagine lightning kind of separating from Bitcoin somehow. And that, that, that's not, that's not possible. Um, so I just tend to focus the analysis on Bitcoin and see what happens as this threshold moves up, whether it's happening from lightning or, or anything else. And, you know, you come to the conclusion that unlike any other money or thing in the universe, right, Bitcoin has this unique property because it gets more expensive to use the more people are using it. Um, and so that's what detru- determines its dust level, yeah. right? Like, like dust and gold is not atoms. It's, it's dust, Right. And dust in Bitcoin is not Satoshi's or, or, or the, 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 the divisibility is not atoms and the divisibility is not Satoshi. The divisibility is the minimum transactable amount. And so the divisibility of gold kind of remains constant because as it increases in purchasing power, more gets created at the same rate pretty much that it's increasing in purchasing power. right? So it maintains a fairly constant purchasing power and it re- maintains a, a level of dust that stays pretty constant. Um, but, but the assay cost of gold is fairly fixed. It doesn't matter how much you have, the cost of assaying it is fairly constant. It's not a function of how many other people are trading it, right, at the same time. So Bitcoin has this unique aspect that's not driven by its supply cap, it's driven by its transaction cap, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is, the more people are doing it, the more expensive it gets to do. Um, and so you end up, um, you know, based on how much people are willing to pay, to transact, a limit to the amount of um, economic activity that can be carried out in Bitcoin, and, but that doesn't, but that doesn't mean it can't function. That just means that the solution is different than people imagine.
0: Absolutely, and given that that the way that Bitcoin's fee structure uh, is uh, was designed, do you think you know Bitcoin will ever be able to fulfill you know this kind of uh, microtransaction scenario that? Uh, We've been articulating, or do you think it just because of that, it won't really be possible to onboard all those smaller, uh, you know, market and exchange activities that are below the the threshold of the fees? It's,
1: it's our well, you know, BTC is already unable to do that, right? It, it, it's and um, so at, at, you know, I looked at this, so I, I, you know, kind of derived a series of conclusions over time, and, and kind of came to this one, and then looked at like, well, what's the What's going to happen if it if it's, and this has already happened, and some people just don't really want to recognize it as as it becomes too expensive to transact because the, there's more transacting going on in this money, people just use a different Another money. You know, that could be the dollar. Yeah, yeah we use a, maybe we use, use dollars instead sometimes because it's too expensive in terms of time, fees, whatever. And right now fees are really low, and we're not anywhere close to that kind of limit, but we have wiped out certain sizes of transactions. So... Um, uh, to me, the most rational uh, approach is that other once you get to a point where it's no longer tenable, then people just start using another chain, right? You could be, could be almost identical. Right? Yeah.
0: So in that case, Bitcoin, rather than being a replacement for the U.S. dollar, is more akin to a replacement for the $20 bill. And you, we may have something in the future that is uh, a replacement the for the $100 bill the, or the $10,000 bill or the $1 <laughs> bill or the one penny bill. Each yeah. each those denominations will become monetized on different chains.
1: Yeah, I, I, the, the most yeah the the conclusion I come to is that once you reach a certain level um, of transactability on one, you reach a limit. Like any more money uh, being any more economic activity that's added, increase increasing in size of the transaction wipes out as much as it's adding. So that the like the the price can't go any higher. Right? You can't. You can't. No more demand can be satisfied without the proportional amount of elimination of demand. So then you then Gresham's law kicks in, and you say, "Well, you know, use a cheaper money, and he's you know a, a money that's better for my circumstance." And and so I can imagine. And this is just you know kind of a theoretical model, but what I see happen. And this only only happens when there's enough uh, activity on one chain for it to become viable on another. But you see, you could have another almost identical coin with just a different Genesis block and a, and a, and a one-bit change to the mining algorithm, right? And now, you, now you've got uh, another chain that needs a good amount of uh, investment in terms of hash rate to get it started, but at some point it'll be worth it, and then people do that. And then what you see is as it grows in security, you can secure more money on it against double spends you would see stuff that maybe was on the other chain being transacted off in order to, because it doesn't require that level of security. So you see this arbitrage between a couple of chains. Right. And then you could see it's happening again on the second one, right? And they kind of reach some equilibrium.
0: And then another one comes
1: along and another one comes along. And,
0: and it, could get, it can go on perpetual. Right. The $20 bill becomes a uh, $100 yeah. bill, becomes a $1,000 bill. And then new ones emerge to fulfill the lower uh, transaction. Yeah.
1: Right. So you could see this this kind of, set of chains that you know one two three or four whatever that did just kind of grow until there's no more expansion there's no more demand for new money but there's always you know as long as there's economic growth and we're assuming like say just assume a theoretical universal Bitcoin money then then there'll be growth in demand right um, and so in gold what you have what you do is you mine more and um, but in Bitcoin creation of new units is not what solves this problem it's creation of new chains so you can have um so you can transact more, right? The transaction yeah. cap is the issue, not not the u- number of units. The number of units is completely irrelevant. Like if you have, you if you're mining it at current cost, it's not inflationary, not price inflationary.
0: Yeah, and and I I like to kind of when I fantasize about this stuff and let my mind go away from its tether to reality, too too tight a tether. You know, I imagine a future where almost every activity is. Uh, priced or or monetized you know like maybe maybe every step you take in the future is counted by your sneakers and has a price on it because the company that you work for values the fact that you still exist in the world and you're not dead yet or something. I know that's kind of maybe dystopian, but something like that, you know, where so many of the behaviors, either by our devices and our tools or by us ourselves, maybe we get yeah. to a point where breathing is monetized because we're we're taking, you know, air or oxygen from other people that might be able to use it more effectively, just like really far out stuff like that. but yeah. it,
1: Well, people do it, People do price everything. They just don't they don't put price it in monetary terms, right? They make decisions this over that. That's a that's a. But I mean pricing
0: it as a a mechanism that will allow us to price it in a monetary term so that it can be exchanged and enter the market. You know, and I guess in the context of what we're discussing, we're going to need something that you know, uh, well has the ability to do that. And you know, the cost of transacting is going to be a major variable in, in in that.
1: But this this approach right solves. I actually haven't even written this up yet, but I've been meaning to write write up a topic like this and usually these things aren't very clear in my mind until I wrote them up like sometimes I'll find an error right. and I'll like, ah wasn't it good because writing it up kind of formalizes it in my mind but but I thought through this a lot and i I think that this idea of um, of you know kind of multiple chains that are carrying uh, different levels of transaction value um Solves one of the problems that people have been unable to solve in Bitcoin, which is sharding, right? Like you don't want to I don't like this idea of pruning the chain on your node right? disk space is the cheapest resource on a computer and 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 you know Bitcoin just just really does not need it um, but um, it, it basically prevents other nodes from bootstrapping and 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 starts to cause people to use trusted models and uh, so not a big fan of pruning but um sharding somebody's you know people have tried to figure out on you know in bitcoin like how do we spread this around is naturally occurring in that type of model right where you, you know if you only care about the smaller transactions then you just run that chain right you don't need the other ones and um and uh you know in some cases you might you might care about a bunch and you you're required to carry more data but but it it offloads that cost um, to the places where it's needed, not 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 required for everybody. So it has that benefit as well. And with things like atomic swaps, you know, people can actually convert between the chains. They can pay the higher fee to get the higher level of security, pay the lower fee to get lower level of security. And these are trade-offs that people consciously make. And you have you have know, kind of this natural arbitrage. And I have this you know theory that that this can all be papered over with some good UI and you know some technical work, where you don't even notice yeah. it. Right, your wallet takes care of it and and. Uh, and so I, I honestly think that's the only that's the only solution to mm-hmm. that problem um, that I can imagine. Yeah. And given 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 the same implementation, right, like um, we're just talking about Bitcoin the way it is today, like the way it is today, if it doesn't get enough use, it, it'll it'll just kind of continue the way it is. But if it gets extraordinary use, then something will happen. And um, I think that that's. It kind of already happens, right? People just don't really recognize it that way, uh, and so anyway, that, that I'm not, you know, not unhopeful about, you know, a future. I just don't think people see it, as, you know, entirely rationally. Yeah, times.
0: honestly, I haven't, I hadn't been looking at it uh, that way until this discussion today. But it's definitely going to provide me with some, uh, some intellectual uh, chewing, you know, over the next uh, little while to think about how that might ultimately play out because it does. Does seem like a, you know, that there's a possibility or probability of that being the case. Yeah. Well, speculators
1: don't like it because you know because it implies that, you know, it's inflationary, right? right? Like, okay, this new unit's being created in this one money, so my money's not continuing to go to the moon. But you know what I'm what I'm describing is is the reality that at some point, it stops, right? It, it has to. It reaches a limit based on the fee ratio, where even if the transaction size is going up. The amount of carrying capacity of the money is not there. The price is not going up. The, the the you know you you've reached a limit, and it, and nothing else has that. So people assume it doesn't exist in Bitcoin too. So Look very closely at the supply cap, and don't look very closely at what this implies. But these are both unique things about Bitcoin, right? They both have significant impacts.
0: But wouldn't it be able so, to continue growing if you know our Economic activity for multiplanetary for example kept growing then the then the larger size transactions would still have a have a, a usefulness have a de- de- demand for them
1: yeah they have a usefulness but they but again the the, the the threshold wipes out the smaller transactions so as you increase the size of the average transaction you're eliminating the ability to transact in smaller transactions when there's a lot more of those right, right? but those are taken so, care of
0: by maybe the the one dollar Bitcoin bill instead of the $100. But,
1: this, but what I'm saying is that that one chain that has reached this threat this 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 kind of event horizon yeah, yeah. right is not going to accrue more value on the chain. It might increase in size of average transaction, pushing other other transactions off into other chains. But that means that the that the purchasing power of the unit is not increasing. That's that's the consequence, right? And to me, that's fine, but. Speculators who are expecting that to just go up forever don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear another chain is going to come and start, you know, monetizing. Um, so uh, it's interesting, like, like gold is never fully monetized, right? When, when, when the demand for gold rises, and gold is just, just an example of everything that exists except for Bitcoin, right? When, when there's more demand for it, more gets created. And the increasing demand for a money is a function of economic growth. There's right, you know, if there's two to three, so economic growth is interest minus depreciation, right? Things depreciate constantly and things are produced constantly, and interest is the rate of production, it's the net that you get of what you've produced. So, this different, you know, if interest is 10% and depreciation of all things averages out to like six or seven percent, you get two to three percent growth, right? Or three to four percent growth. And this growth is, you know, is new stuff that's being transacted, there's new demand for money as well. And so, this. This is this is why we see gold, you know, grows at a couple percent per year, um, because there's new demand for it and it's being mined, at the, at that rising demand until the price comes back down to now. There's no reason to mine it anymore, right? So, so it's never fully monetized because there's more units of the money always being created. With Bitcoin, Bitcoin gets on a single chain gets fully monetized because not because you can't create any more more of it. Um, because you can't transact you can't put any more value into it right so now it's fully monetized where
0: why can't why can't you put more value into it
1: as, as a, in a single chain you as you increase the transaction size you wipe out as much value as you've increased by increasing the average transaction size so you've reached this point of you know perfectly diminishing returns C- can you and, say that one
0: more time I'm um,
1: sorry well this is this is a concept I, I thought you had we uh, we discussed it um, uh, a bit ago where as you're increasing the minimum transaction size, yeah, yeah. Right? in other words, you've got the same 5,000 or 6,000 transactions you can get into the chain per 10 minutes. Um, with more transactions going on, they're getting batched up by essentially banks, right? Credit is getting settled in Bitcoin, and the average size is moving up. But but because that, that fee ratio is driving that average size, it's also wiping out any transactions below that size. Right. So if, if the minimum transaction you could do on Bitcoin is, say, $20, because the fee the fee ratio at $20 is 2%, nobody's going to pay any more than, or 5% or whatever, 10%, right? People reach their limit. I mean, I've never seen anything higher than kind of 10% for remittances or whatever. It's a very high rate. It wipes out a year of investment gains. And, you know, if you buy it and sell it, you're wiping out two years. So um so that's a so say just take 10% take 100% whatever right like so 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 say the fees are, are $2 worth on a $20 transaction you know you're not going to do a $2 transaction when the fees are $2 you've wiped out those those possibilities and and if you assume some kind of proportionality which I think is fairly reasonable in other words there's there's 10 times as many $20 transactions as there is $2 trans or vice versa 10, 10 times as many $2 transactions as there is $20 transactions you've just wiped out as much value on the chain by making it impossible to transact as you've increased by raising the average transaction size. Yeah. So as the average transaction size moves up, because the fee ratio is moving up because more people are transacting, so now this has to keep moving up, what you what you get is wiping out as much value as, you, as, you're, in, as, as you're creating, or not creating, but transacting. You can't transact in these anymore, are we going to move up? So okay, now we're doing an average of a $10,000 transaction. That means the, the price must be much higher because, you know, we're doing $10,000. No, because we've wiped out everything below $10,000. It's no longer transactable. So that demand is gone. It's moved into some other money. Um, so what, what you have is you reach this limit that doesn't exist in anything else, right? This, this, uh, this inability to create more transactability. It's not about creating more units. Where, um, so if you look at it from a single chain perspective, it's fully monetized. But when you, if you look at it as a system right where you have different levels of security on different chains now it's never fully monetized just like gold or just like everything else and the market will do that mark the market will will make sure that there is more transactability created if it wants to keep using this type of money
0: and there's nobody's gonna be able to stop right that. so as it as it develops then lower denomination chains below the 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 biggest one uh, accommodate those uh, those smaller transactions because it's the cheaper right. to transact so uh, you're saying on the main one once it's fully monetized that the cost of transacting is is equal to what you're the fee
1: ratio be- becomes prohibitive you know below that level so if, if the fee ratio is high enough so it's a hundred bucks and you're and you're doing only thousand dollar transactions right it's a 10 percent fee ratio Well, you are not going to do a hundred dollar transaction um, you might do a ten thousand dollar transaction so everything above is still possible right but everything below gets wiped out so if that fee level goes up to a thousand bucks now you're not doing thousand dollar transactions anymore you're doing ten thousand dollar transactions but you've wiped out all the transactability below that right so if the fee level is like you know a penny and and for all levels okay you've wiped out everything below a penny maybe that's not consequential right that's kind of where we started um, but as it starts to move up you start subtracting value now you have to put this all in perspective when it comes to speculation, right? People, people will speculate on anything, but this is, this in terms, this is in terms of what they're speculating on, the ability for people to use it as money. Um, and that's,
0: yeah, the, the, the only point that I was, I guess, uh, having trouble following you on was, you know, as high as the fee is, would it not still accommodate whatever economic activity is, you know, what, whatever percentage greater than the fee, you know, so yes,
1: yes. But nothing below. That's the point. Yeah,
0: sure. So but as new economic activity greater than the fee comes onto the chain, wouldn't it continue to increase well, can the price? You, can
1: you imagine like you can only do you can only do million dollar transactions? That, that's not unreasonable when you're talking about the number of transactions to carry all the, you know, the the uh, the, the 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 activity that occurs around the world. So you can only do million-dollar transactions. So where is all the other transacting going? Yeah, down. Where does, yeah, lower denomeration. Lower it, it's just somewhere else, right? Yeah. So every time that moves up, you've eliminated those other scenarios. So,
0: But you're introducing new, bigger ones, aren't you? Like what if we start trading on a planetary yeah, basis?
1: So my argument is that they're proportional. It, it, you're, introduced, you're not introducing new, bigger ones. They already existed, right? You already had the ability to transact at any larger size you wanted to. You've just wiped out the smaller ones. Right. So so if you start if you start batching up and and actually transacting it at higher levels, right, you're moving that threshold up um, and you're wiping out below. And so what you're saying is at a certain
0: point, the price of that denomination that you're transacting in the big, let's say, the biggest transactions remains the same.
1: Yeah. What I'm what I'm saying is if you can't add any more demand, um, you're wiping out as much demand as you increase, then your purchasing power remains constant and because it, it's a function of supply and demand and you have a fixed supply of transactability right and you have rising demand um, which is wiping out as much demand as it's as it's increases representing um, so uh, yeah it's it's again i have to write this up yeah. so you can just go read it <laughs> yeah. it's, it's one of the things i end up
0: talking more and more about now and i have just been too busy yeah yeah because I'm, I'm kind of seeing it in terms of things going in both directions, but, you know, I, I haven't thought about it at all either beyond the beyond this conversation. So I'm, I'm seeing it kind of the dominant one increasing in price while lower ones continue to emerge. Take, for example, OK, people, you know, this happened, uh, you know,
1: people start rapidly transacting on Bitcoin because the price is shooting up and fees go up to like 10, 20, 100 dollars a transaction. What happens? People start freaking out, right? Like, you know, we can't use this for all these things we used to use it for. Right. That's loss of demand, right? Now, the only question for is... For the
0: things under that fee. Yeah,
1: yeah. that's clearly loss of demand. Yeah. And and so that's when everybody started freaking out about fees. When we hit $20,000 overnight and people like, fees! You know, and then everybody's
0: focusing on ways to mitigate fees and we got lightning. All right, so... Um, but there could have been demand for for activities with above those fees right if there were people looking to transact a billion dollars then a $20 fee wouldn't have been
1: absolutely so that that yeah. that possibility still exists right but you have a range of say you know zero to whatever the maximum you would possibly transact on that chain um, and that domain gets cut down right as you move it up right you can't you can't there's a certain amount of demand for transactions at, at At any level, and you just wiped out.
0: Assuming there's, assuming there's a maximum, though, right? What if there's no, there's no cap on the up on the maximum size of the transaction?
1: But people have to actually keeps getting bigger and bigger. People have to actually be transacting at that level,
0: and presumably they already are, right? Why,
1: Why did they just start tomorrow? So what happens is the the smaller transactions are being batched up into bigger transactions, and the smaller ones are being wiped out. Right, Right. and and so so you're aggregating, which is now creating a security issue, right? You you have less people actually. um, If people aren't settling, right? If you're using something like Lightning and they're not, and they're actually just floating and they they actually can never settle, then they're just getting robbed. Um, And so, you you just you just lose the 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 people don't just like say, well, you know, all of a sudden we're just going to start doing billion dollar transactions. What's changing here? Is that they're batching them up because they're too expensive at lower levels, mm-hmm. so they're being batched up into higher levels and being subtracted at the lower levels. it's the net is the same, um, and that again that phenomenon doesn't exist with anything else. So people haven't even thought about it and looked at it in that way. And uh, that's what I find really interesting about um, deriving you know behaviors from. You know, economic behaviors and then applying these concepts to Bitcoin. Like, What can we know about this? Um, I think that, I mean, I, I believe that that's provable, right? There was only one assumption there you have to make, which I keep, I've said several times, you, you assume proportionality, but it doesn't have to be proportional. It's just easier to see if you say it's strictly proportional, right? There's a straight line. The more, the higher you go, the higher you go in price of a tra- the value you're transacting, the number of satoshis you're transacting, or it's you know, the, the the proportionally fewer number of possible transactions there are. Right. There, there's mm-hmm. presumably fewer billion-dollar transactions than there are ten-dollar transactions. Right. Right. So right. it doesn't have to be proportional, but if it make it strictly proportional, there's a linear relationship between these things. Right. If you make it kind of curvy and complex, well, yeah, there's still a relationship. the 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 effect still holds. It's just not you know, a straight line. Um, and I think that it's, it's, a, it's an assumption that this, I mean, maybe there are just as many billion dollar transactions as there is one dollar transactions, right? But I think it's a reasonable assumption, right? If you're willing to accept that assumption, then you have to come to this conclusion. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the mitigation for this, or the, the market solution to this, is just to create more transaction supply in another chain. But that doesn't, but that doesn't change anything about the demand on the original chain. It, it starts it, it may start moving demand, right? These transactions that are getting batched up at lower security because they're using something like lightning, they get transacted on another chain. And so now you might even start to drain value from the, from the original chain. You know, and, and you'll see this kind of presumably eventually you'd see this equilibrium being reached between these two chains, right? right, would, right. And then be the same problem would propagate into another one and another one another one. So to me, that's you know new supply of transactability being created constantly, um, and that does happen. We you know we have we have shitcoins, but we also have altcoins, which are kind of doing that, right? And yeah, they're small, but they're small because I mean, one, that this whole market is very immature, but two, the you know Bitcoin BTC is very low fees it's because there's not an awful lot of transaction demand. And once you yeah. have that, you would see this happening. And um, maybe it doesn't look like it looks today, but the only complaint you would have against that is people saying, well, my, my, my Bitcoin's not going to go to the moon if that happens. <laughs> right. I don't give a fuck. Right. That's not my objective. <laughs> so I, I, I just you know these are these are silly
0: arguments it's not what we're here for yeah well i i guess the saving grace is that it could still go i guess presumably a lot higher than it is today before the, the necessity for and presumably what you if, you just new, if
1: you have a new chain monetizing right presumably if you have a new chain monetizing you have the same option there right
0: yeah yeah so
1: yeah. um yeah this 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 other thing that's kind of unique about bitcoin is this kind of in you know this kind of Instant monetization, right? Where you go from some nothing to something, and there's nothing else that really does that either, right? Gold has been around for a long time. All these things that we use as money have been around for a long time, so they get they just
0: continuously being monetized um, as more is getting created. And uh, and the monetization of those smaller denominations will probably happen a lot faster because the main the, the primary one has been monetized already, and it's just a matter of Moving value over to that, so there's a
1: there's a there's an economic incentive for people to speculate on that monetization, which is what provides its you know kind of rapid evolution into a you know reasonably secure chain for those smaller transactions. Mm -hmm. Um, And somebody, you know, we've already seen this. Somebody has to fork up a shit ton of cash to to actually bootstrap it, right? Or I mean, bunch of miners have to kind of come together and decide we're going to speculate on this money or it's not going to be securable. But that will happen if there is enough speculative demand in the monetization of that money as a result of the other one starting to be fully monetized. Yeah. Um, people people will get together and say okay on this day we are all going to start mining and you know they start you know maybe I mean you know this has been done on kind of a more centralized scale with with forks and stuff where yeah I don't know it's funny like people people look at splits and they go well you know the, the somebody splits off and starts mining their own, you know, and they assume, they assume that that means it has value, right? Like, like, like it took some value from Bitcoin. Well, it, it only could possibly take value from Bitcoin is if people decide to start using it, right? Start trading. And if somebody just goes off and starts mining a fork, it doesn't mean anything, right? <laughs> you go to whatever you want, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't start with value. All it starts with is allocation. Everybody, you know, everybody that had some Bitcoin outputs now has some fork outputs. Doesn't mean there's any value in it at all. Somebody actually has to be willing to trade it, invest in, you know, invest in mining it, and that's new value, unless it's somehow taking, you know, people that used to be over here and moving them over there, right? But if people want to use a different money, that's their prerogative.
0: So. Um, and I'm sure it's never absolute, right? It's a little bit of all those categories until one of them becomes, you know. More pronounced. I, I didn't understand. What do you mean? All those categories? Well, l- uh, you're, you're basically saying like there's it, uh, something like a, a fork doesn't have value until it's being traded and, and transacted, right?
1: Yeah, people have to accept it and trade for something, or it's useless, just like Right, gold uh, or
0: or until it. people are consciously monetizing it, for example.
1: Well, yeah, right? they're 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 speculating on its future use to them in trade, uh, right. Uh, right? Or they're actually using it in trade but either way they're trading something for it somebody's selling it you know miners are selling it they're trading electricity they're training it they're trading energy for it so people are buying it therefore value right so the yeah people are willing to trade it It can take on value um and the the only real difference between a split and an alt is the pre-allocation of the units right like like as it as it monetizes you know everybody's you know all the people that had some of the other now have some of this so to me, there's not like some other advantage like, oh, you know, we, we split so we have more security. No, no. I mean, maybe in the fact that it's already distributed, you know, better than airdrop or something, but um, it's not like there's some money being subtracted out. It has to be created, right? So people have argued against like this this idea that that alts would just come or splits would come and, and create. Um, transactability at lower value in, in that well that's just if we could do that then then there would be arbitrary inflation and money would be worth nothing. I'm like no, this doesn't have any value unless people actually start paying for it, right? So it's only it's it's only viable when that happens. And so it's no it's no different than mining more gold where where yeah there's 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 infinite gold out there that we could somehow mine or create. Um, but people won't actually do it until it has some value. And yeah. uh, um, it, it's it's the same way with creating other, other chains, other monies. Like, it, it won't happen unless there's value in doing it, and once it once it does, you know, there's a cost to doing it, right? The cost yeah. is equal to the value that people perceive. The cost of mining it, the cost of, you know, um, um, trading it is it's not just free, right? It has to be paid for. So it's not arbitrary, you know kind of signage or or just arbitrary inflation. but um, it, it's it solves, it solves a couple of problems, right? It solves this this uh, this limit on transactability, and it also solves what I call a sharding problem. Right? The, the 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 risk to um, people's centralization, but the risk to being able to operate in secret because you're 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 carrying so much data. Um, well, now you know if you're working at lower levels of security, you can have a lot much lot less data, and and still, um, which is, you know, maybe you know one of the arguments for an all versus a split because you're not carrying the entire history uh, with you, uh, but you still have yeah. to have to build it up somehow. So. Uh.
0: Well, look, man, uh, I know I got to let you go. We said 35 minutes an hour ago, so we're we're coming up on three and a half hours. But uh, man really enjoyed this conversation I, I yeah, could go for much longer, but uh, I know it's bedtime for you over there, so we'll have to pick it up again some other time maybe maybe give um, this space a half a year a year to continue evolving and then we can we can pick up the conversation then but uh, yeah really appreciate it man I really enjoyed it thank you for the time uh, did you want to direct people anywhere or just google you you and they'll know how to find you
1: uh, yeah I, um Twitter Oskill, uh is uh, is is where I have you know kind of public conversations and I have you know the the software Libitcoin is in github slash Libitcoin um, all my crypto economic stuff is in the Libitcoin system repo wiki <laughs> it's very deeply buried so hard to find
0: um, well lots lots of reading there there's I believe it or not there was a ton of things I wanted to get into I've got <laughs> but uh,
1: yeah, well, I'm glad to hear somebody's reading it. That's good. Thank <laughs> um, you. Know, we're talking about doing a. Uh, so there's also for people that are interested. Um, we have this. Um, Tom Pekia and I uh, and uh, Lucas Petzart have created a uh, nonprofit, um, which is pending IRS approval, but we should have it, I think. And uh, for for raising money for the Bitcoin developers, um, we've been pretty lucky in the past getting getting some generous donations to pay for people to work full time. Um, so there's that. Uh, you can contact me about that if somebody wants to uh, contribute to, uh, to to Bitcoin core development and uh, in a different way. And there's also, um, uh, looks like in March, we'll be putting on a uh, crypto economics conference talking about this cool. stuff. Yeah, probably in Hanoi. Where? Uh, Hanoi. Oh, Hanoi. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's not been announced yet. I don't have any details for you. The website's still blank, but um, yeah, it looks like it's going to happen. So it's something to look forward to in the in the future if you're interested in this kind of stuff.
0: Why Hanoi? Just out of curiosity. Why not? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's funny reasons, but it's uh, it's
0: I think it'll be fun. Yeah. All right, Eric. Any uh, any further parting thoughts, or you you filled up for now?
1: Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for thanks for having me on, John. Appreciate it.
0: All right, man. Keep up the great work. Take care of yourself. Thanks. You too. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.